Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Monday, March 27th. We are here live. It is a free-for-all. We're going to open the phone lines right now, so start dialing. If you have a question, a comment, a topic, anything at all you want to talk about, pick up the phone and join me, 855-950-3835. I've got a couple things I want to talk about today, then we'll get to your calls and questions, so go ahead and line them up. We'll stay here as long as you've got questions. So jump in and join us. You know, I'm starting to see a a lot more articles like the two I'm going to talk about today. Um, This first one, the headline is Miami Trucking Company Files for Bankruptcy Protection. Um, This is almost a, a, a textbook case of what I've been talking about for several years now, um, right down to when this company started. Um, This is a Miami-based trucking company, a freight brokerage, and they own a CDL training school. Um, They filed for Chapter 11. The company's uh, Solar and Solar Hauling, Inc., Um, founded in 2011. That's important because how many times have I said over the last four years or so, We've had this long run up in trucking and a lot of the companies in existence today have never been through any kind of a real downturn in rates and volumes. We had a couple little pullbacks here and there, and I can remember people really complaining about them like the world was about to end, they thought it was so bad. And those pullbacks, for the most part, were nothing, very minor, very short. And I've said for a long time, we have a lot of trucking companies that do not know how to operate in a difficult environment. Um, So this company started in 2011 uh, says it was founded by two brothers. One of them is 37 now. Let's see, that's uh, 12, so 25 when they started the company. Um, pretty impressive company they built, except it couldn't make it through a difficult time. So here's some stats. 22 tractors, 42 drivers. Huh. 22 tractors, 42 drivers. It's a lot of teams. Um, Mainly refrigerated freight throughout the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Does state that it hauls general freight, building materials, and paper products. Um, Their application cites financial hardship in the past 12 months, with the most recent months being particularly difficult. Um, as one of the main reasons it was forced to file for bankruptcy protection. The owners listed that negative cash flow in the past eight months, high fuel prices, and a higher than usual cost to keep their fleet active were also contributing factors. A couple things we know about the company. Um, 
Their trucks have been inspected 44 times. 13 had been placed out of service. That's a 29.5% out of service rate. That's really high. That's very high uh, for an out of service rate. And for usually small companies have better than average, not worse than average. Um, This company has a horrible out of service rate, tells us a lot about how they take care of their equipment. Um, Drivers had been inspected 131 times and nine were placed out of service. Um, That's just about the national average. So not too bad on the drivers themselves, but the trucks, um, pretty high. Trucks had been involved in three crashes with injuries and five towaways over the last two years. Uh, That's pretty high. Uh, let's see. Here is, uh, here's something I've talked about in the past. So there's several things in this article. Like I said, the idea that this is a company that started after the crash of 2008 grew pretty aggressively, really, when you think about it, um, and now isn't able to make it through the first real downturn that it's encountered. There are lots of reasons for it. And remember, they stated high fuel cost, high cost of keeping their trucks running, and negative cash flow. So let's look at a couple of the um, top 20 unsecured creditors, the biggest one being Rider Truck Rental. They, how, how did this even happen? They owe Ryder $4.5 million for 22 leased trucks. Wow. How did Ryder let them get that deep into them? $4.5 million, 22 leased trucks. I've had this argument with people over the years. I've said it is ignorant It's a horrible business model for a trucking company to lease all of its trucks. And this isn't, this is more of a rental agreement. I know we call it a lease, but it's Ryder. This is more of a rental agreement. They call them lease agreements, but this trucking company did not own its tractors. I didn't see much in here about trailers, uh, but it did not own its tractors. These are all Ryder leases. This makes no sense to me. The point of being a trucking company, for the most part, now we have companies that consider themselves logistics companies and they don't own equipment. That's different than what we're looking at here. This is a trucking company. They're not really what we would consider logistics, contracting all this stuff out, but they chose not to own trucks. To me, a big part of the profit you receive as a trucking company is your ability to properly spec and maintain trucks to create a profit. When you as a trucking company, we already have very small margins and you can't keep giving up those margins to somebody else. And in this case, you're giving up in what I consider to be one of the biggest margins owning the equipment, specking and maintaining it properly. 
They said they had negative cash flow. Well, yeah, you're leasing a bunch of new trucks and they couldn't control fuel cost. Yeah, because you have no control over your fuel cost when you lease those trucks. You don't spec them. You don't maintain them. You don't get to modify them. That's, that takes away a huge chunk of your ability to generate a profit by being more efficient. And we can see that they, uh, they, they crashed and burned pretty quickly. So they owed $4.5 million to Ryder. They owed $410,000 for a construction loan. Uh, they owed another $300,000 for a business loan. They obviously did a lot of borrowing. Um, they owed 58000 to the SBA for another business loan, 42000 to the SBA for a disaster relief loan. That was part of the COVID deal. Um, from January 1st till the date that it filed bankruptcy, they had revenue of $1.7 million. Uh, in 2021, they had revenues of $10.5 million. I didn't have time to go through and do the math and see if that's reasonable for 22 trucks. But it's also 22 trucks that it looks like they're almost all teams. Has to be darn close to it. Um, they started their for-profit uh, CDL school in 2019. And that isn't part of the Chapter 11 proceeding. So it looks like they kept that one separate. This is a, a, a classic case of, like I said, what I've been talking about for several years now. These companies that get started into a good freight market. We've had one for a long time now. Uh, and then we hit a downturn. And we're just at the very beginning of this downturn. We haven't seen anything yet but they're, they're starting to drop. And think about this. When any company goes out of business, we're listing all the creditors, the people they owe money to. That hurts. This will put other businesses out of business. That's what happens in an economy like this. So it's happening. It's uh, here's another one. Trucking company owner sentenced for failure to pay more than four hundred thousand in payroll taxes. Uh, married couple who owned a trucking company in Nebraska have been sentenced. They actually got some jail time. This is really unusual. Um, let's see. the uh, The husband got a year and a day in prison followed by three years of supervised release. Plus, they also have to pay back $426,000 in taxes. Um, the reason I talk about this article, if you have employees, the one thing I will tell you never mess with is payroll taxes. You know, there are many, many stories of the IRS ignoring people over income taxes for years. I, my, I've talked about it. I had to file 15 years worth of tax returns for one client. That was my record. 15 years he got away with it. You will not get away with not paying payroll taxes. The IRS takes this very seriously because that's not your money. 
you are with some of it is, but you are withholding some of that money from the employees. When you don't send that to the government for taxes, that's theft. They don't mess with this. They, this is jail time. So if you have employees and you are behind on your payroll taxes, you better get that straight. That is number one. Do not mess with payroll taxes. The, uh, the IRS takes this issue very, very seriously and they will crack down. All right, one other thing, and then we're going to get to the calls that are starting to come in. Um, we are starting to release some of the products we found at the Expo West, the big trade show we were at. We've got some exciting stuff. One we're releasing today, uh, Burroughs Family Farms. Love this company. They are the only regenerative almond farm in the world. Not just organic. This goes way beyond organic. Regenerative is the concept of, of a farm having very few or almost no inputs, meaning that farm can survive on its own. It generates all of its own inputs, and that makes it very regenerative. Um, we've talked with Joel Salatin about this. Uh, Joel's farm, the only input that farm has is a little bit of supplemental chicken feed in the winter. And my guess is if they had to do without it, they probably could figure out a way. Uh, other than that, they bring in nothing. They generate all their own fertilizers and compost. And, um, you know, I've talked about we, we recollect seeds and you don't need inputs if this is done properly. Uh, so a really amazing regenerative farm, which in the uh, almond world is pretty, um, pretty incredible. But on top of that, the product itself, their, their um, nuts and their nut butters are just incredible. So one of the things you're going to notice with these almonds, they have flavored almonds in the bag which are really, really good. Whoever uh, develops their flavors knows what they're doing. Very clean tasting, very real tasting, the flavors. But the almonds are really tiny. I, I'm sure that has something to do with the whole regenerative part of this, but they're really tiny and they're very clean. Um, and the flavors on the nut butters are just incredible. Head on over and pick those up. It's Burroughs Family Farms, and uh, they're available today at letstruck.com. Jump over there and grab some. Let's, uh, let's get to the phones and find out what's on your mind today. Phones are open. Jump in and join us, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in South Carolina. Terrence, welcome to the program. What's up, Kev? I got a couple of tax questions. Um, like we finally settled my, we sold my mom's house in Staten Island and, you know, I'm getting money from that. And then, uh, I just want, like, we never filed her taxes when she passed. Do I got to go back and we got to go, the estate's got to go back and file it, file them, right? Yeah. Yeah. At some point it will have to be filed and uh, the IRS might let it go for years and then you've got a mess. So somebody needs to go back and file that. Right. Right. Time. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Cause I, I, it's like she died in November. So we got all of that one in 20, 
21, I think it was, yeah. yeah. And then last year, and then now the estate, well, because the house sold, and we're just waiting for the money to, you know, to clear. And then that's, that's, that's basically it. We cleared up all our, our bills and all that stuff. We just got to... Yeah. So that's just a matter of just, I, mean, I yeah. got a tax guy, right? I just go to him and say, hey. Yeah, just file this I'm, final I'm not return. familiar with it. That's why, yeah. that's why I'm asking. Okay. It's not a big okay. deal. Just give it to the tax guy. Let him file it. There, and I, I yeah, highly he did, doubt he that did her taxes. Right, that there's going to be any kind of a tax on the, the sale of the home. That should all be exempt. Um, I doubt that the estate was big enough to have any kind of tax whatsoever. So... Uh, just file the return yeah. and be done with it. And then that's it. Once it's, it's closed and that's done, it's over, it's done, and then there's right. no more. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because I have no clue about that. And I, you know, you, you never, you know, you don't really go through that, you know, having to do yeah, it. You know, exactly. it's something that yeah. happens all the time, you know. Well, you know, I've been doing taxes for All right, I appreciate and, that. And, uh, well, go ahead. When, when we had to deal with this just a couple of years ago, I had to go figure it out. I mean, in all the years I did taxes, I only dealt okay. with this, you know, a couple times. Right, right. Okay. All right, cool. I appreciate it. Let someone else get in, Emmy. Have a good day. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Phone lines are open. It is a free-for-all. Anything goes. I'll stay here till we run out of questions today. 855-950-3835. I'm going to go to Idaho. RJ, welcome to the program. Hey, good afternoon. What's on your mind today? Hey, I just, I just want to encourage or try to encourage some of the drivers to help out. Last night, I was going over Rattlesnake Pass in Utah, up by the Idaho-Utah border on it, Highway 84, and two of the same trucks, they were double reefers. I guess they were trying to pass each other. They both got about a half a mile away and passed, spun out and clogged up the interstate. So I get there and, you know, I waited maybe about three minutes and I'm antsy. Well, I might as well go up there and see if I can help out, grab my shovel, walk up there. And not a single driver. We were there for about an hour putting chains on and changing out chains because he had some bad chains and stuff. But not even the other driver from the same company. He just sat there and listen to music and stuff so oh, you know if we're all hung up somewhere uh, get out and out, you know and stuff right. like, <laughs> yeah it, it could have been a 10 15 minute job with enough you, hands. you know my guess is <laughs> there's a couple possibilities here they're just lazy and they don't get it or or they're completely unprepared to get out in that kind of weather and do anything yeah yeah yeah, like this this driver here, oh, he was wasn't very experienced. Let's say with throwing chains. Yeah, stuff, um, and, uh, you know, so that look, complicated I, thing. I, I get it. There are drivers who have been driving for twenty, twenty five, thirty years, never put chains on a truck. If you spend most of your time in the eastern part of the United States, there's a good chance you'll never chain up a truck. Get out to the West Coast, and right. it's a different story. And we're all rookies at some point. I get it. But but use a little common yeah. sense. Don't wait until you're at the top of a pass in a snowstorm in miserable conditions to try to figure out your chains. 
You should be doing that at the beginning of every winter. You should have your chains out. You should put them on. You should make sure everything's right. You should make sure you know how to do it. Um, so yeah, we're all rookies at doing it at one point, but a little bit of practice before you get to the top of the pass. But it, it, was, it just frustrated me. Like last night when not a single person helped out or did anything. They were all just listening to their music or YouTube or whatever, getting in the back of the sleeper. And like and I said, so, and so what, some of it is they don't know how to help. They, they just don't have the ability to help. They don't know what to do. Um, some of it could be they don't carry the equipment they need to get out and help. A good pair of gloves, boots, insulated coveralls, whatever it might be. They don't have that with them. Uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's kind of a different world these days. Yeah. But, yeah. So and I just admonish people, if they haven't started preparing or self-reliance, keep prepping and because who knows where we're going. Yeah, self-reliance and then... adds peace of mind. And then let's think about the situation you were just in. If all of the trucks around them had been prepared and more self-reliant, had they been prepared and more self-reliant, this issue wouldn't have happened or it would have happened and we would have resolved it faster. A lot, yeah, a lot faster. Right. Or half of them didn't really understand English as I'm trying to go back and say, okay, just the fast lane go. You guys stop whipping out there and then spinning out, trying to, you know, because they see an opening, so they get excited. And, you know, that causes a bunch of problems and stuff. And uh, yeah, it, it I, was just an interesting and very frustrating night. Yeah, you know, I, I saw a headline like I said, this morning, and it was one of the big crashes, and I, I was kind of sort of paying attention to it. I mentioned it the other day, but I didn't realize 133 vehicles. Oh. 133 vehicles. I can't even imagine what a nightmare that is. Is that new yeah. is this phenomenon of these multi-vehicle pileups new i i don't remember these kind of crashes yeah i own the highway everybody get out of my way and uh type of attitude a lot of four wheelers i mean y'all see it and stuff I, you they miss their ex. They don't want to miss their exit. They zoom look, over three lanes. No, I get it. You know, can, to make that exit, and they we, almost cause a bunch of problems. We can blame the four wheelers <laughs> all day. I think it's a bad idea. Couple reasons. We're supposed to be the professionals. Um, we know the the four wheelers do this kind of stuff, but I, I will tell you that yep. I get really frustrated when I'm on the roads now with the with the behavior of trucks. I think it's horrible. The following distances, the speeds, the lane changes. I, it's so I, we have to remember we're the professionals. Yeah, we, we should be the ones to say, yeah, we were not part of this. Let those hundred and thirty three pile up crashes be all cars. Right. And the part of being a professional is knowing when to just say, you know what? I'm not going to go 10 That's miles exactly. an hour in my lane because I'm so scared. I'm just going to get off the, the road. Fog or right. the heavy downpour. Right. Yeah. There get is the heck off the road. Call it a day. 
start over. There is nothing tomorrow. wrong with deciding, look, this is the conditions are too bad. And maybe it's a combination of the conditions are bad and I'm tired. It's the end of the day. I'm not as sharp as I should be. There's nothing wrong with just saying, you know what? I'm just shutting it down. Just shut down if you're if you're right. that worried about it or if it's that bad. So, anyway, it helps out if you're you know stuck in a big you know pile up or whatever. You know, see if there's something you can do, and that's uh, what I'd encourage people to try and do. Yeah, you know, they, uh, there is another issue here in these big pileups. At, at some point you probably don't want to be there. You probably want to get away from it until it actually stops occurring. If they're still crashing into the pilot, you be careful about where you are out there. You might want to drive off the road in a controlled fashion. Yeah. And yeah. not be, uh, you know, because I've done that once or twice where all of a sudden, oh, crud, I'm going to plow this guy. Yeah. yeah. I see, you know, I can just drive off in a controlled manner and not possibly kill somebody. Yeah, it certainly but seems that's like... A quick, that's a quick decision. Many times. I mean, you know, yeah. you got one or two seconds. It certainly you seems know, like these kind of big pileups are just getting worse every year. And and it, they, really, and more, they more, really shouldn't because the the technology in the vehicles is so much better now to help us avoid this kind of stuff better. and yet it's getting worse the tires you know, are better they, well yeah think about this when i started i don't know how long you've been doing this when i started this we had bias ply tires not radials they were horrible by the way in a lot of ways um, at the very beginning when i started many of the trucks on the road didn't have front brakes at all, no brakes on the front oh, axle. Uh, that was, we drove trucks like that for a long time. No anti-lock brakes of any kind whatsoever. So in none of these <clears throat> collision avoidance systems and all this other stuff. And yet with all that technology, we keep seeing these big crashes get bigger and bigger. Oh, yeah. Oh. All right, well, you have yourself a good day. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Reno this time. Craig, welcome to the program. Oh, let me hit the button again. There you go. Craig? Well, I hit the button right this time. The line's there. Not hearing anything, though. Craig? Oh. I'll put you back in the queue, Morgan, if you could check on Craig, see what we've got going on there. Um, we do have phone lines open. We're, uh, we're screening a couple right now, but if you want to jump in, 855-950-3835. Let's head off to Kentucky. John, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin? Yeah, what's on your mind today? Hi. Um, so <clears throat> I had a couple text questions for you. Um, my my trucking company, I'm just a single owner operator, and I had set it up as an LLC, and I'm taxed as a sole proprietor. Okay. Okay, so I, my wife and I, we want to change our residency to a 
non-income tax state, and we're thinking about South Dakota. Okay, that's a good one. Um, so my, where I'm getting confused at, I, it seems like, it, I don't know yet, but it seems like it would be a lot of work for me to change my company from where it's at in Kentucky do you, to South Dakota. So can do you I have authority? leave my company? Yeah. Okay. Is that can what I, you're talking I, about? The complication of, of the authority? Right. Moving okay. it to another state. Okay. So can I leave the company you, in Kentucky, but my wife you, and I become residents of South Dakota? You could, but you don't want to. And technically, to. can you if you're a sole proprietor? I think you can, but you don't want to because you're going to have to deal with all kinds of goofy rules then about living in one state, running a business in another. And it, it's, it's just not a good idea. Look, trucking companies move all the time. So I don't um, give advice on compliance issues like this, like the authority and what we have to do to make sure it gets done right. There are companies out there that'll do this for you. Just pay them. Just get just just pay somebody, get it done, be done with it. Otherwise, you've got this thing hanging out there year after year after year that just complicates your life and your business. Don't do it. Okay. Just, well, just bite the bullet, get it, get it done. Know. Yeah, just bite the bullet, pay a company, they'll file the paperwork, you'll be done, and it'll be nice and clean. Okay, so my next tax question, or maybe not tax question, but I don't know, this may be in the same lines. So I'm slowing down. Um, we sold our house, we live in our fifth wheel, we travel a lot. Nice. My wife works from Good. the road. She can work anywhere. She has internet. That's awesome. You know, we don't have a lot of bills. I don't have to make a lot of money anymore. The kids are gone, grown, whatever. They're supporting themselves. Um, so as I've been mowing around that I, if I want to even keep trucking and maybe selling the truck and trailer and, I don't know, getting a cargo van and doing some gig apps or whatever, just to stay busy for okay. a little, you know, yeah. Keep, something to keep do. Myself occupied basically yeah. something to do. Um, so can, when I do, if I did that, will the new venture that I'm doing stay in the business that I have now, or do I got to close this business no. and start a new one? No, it, it, it can. It, 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 trucking is trucking. It doesn't matter what kind of equipment we use. Technically, the IRS can't tell us what we're allowed to do with the business. I, I, technically, I'm allowed to have a business that owns trucks and sells roses if I want to. I mean, it, they can't tell us what our business is allowed to do and not allowed to do. So, and this is trucking anyway. You're, you're just changing equipment type is all you're doing. So yeah, do not form a new company. Just keep this one and just keep it going. And just all you're doing really is changing equipment. Okay, so even if I just went all the way down to where I was just an Uber driver. I, I don't care if you decide I to put a backpack on and, and deliver packages by jogging around. I'd still run it under the same company. Okay. Okay, so just because the company was set up as a trucking company, it can do whatever I want it to do. Absolutely. And you're still trucking. Okay. This one isn't even close. You're still doing the exact same thing. 
Okay, but if I wasn't, it doesn't matter anyway. Now I've seen businesses like like I said. What what um, what does my business do? I mean, we do all kinds of weird things. You know, we do some consulting, we do some health work, we sell things out of an online store, we have courses, I get revenue from speaking. I mean, our revenue, there we probably have 15 different sources of revenue. Okay. All right. Well, that, uh, that clears up some confusion in my mind when I'm driving down the road, for sure. Good, good. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We like to keep things simple. Let's not do anything complicated if we don't need to. Phone lines are open. Jump in and join us. 855-950-3835. I'll hang out till we run out of questions. It's been not, it's been quiet today on Monday. Last Monday was quiet too. I don't know if that's uh some new trend that's going on, but uh, typically Mondays are really busy with calls. So jump in, pick up the phone and join me. Let me know what's on your mind today. Let's go to Texas. Dwight, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. Um, since we got a little time, I'll throw my two cents in on the snow chains. Uh, whether it's snow chains or once I had my truck, I had to be towed in my Mechanic had one of those tow bars that hook up to the back of your truck with oh, yeah. the uh, fifth wheel. Right. And so he, he sent that up um, with an dri- inexperienced driver. Um, I won't be chauvinist and say she was a female, but she was inexperienced at the very least. And he said, I'll send you the truck, but um, you're going to have to hook this up all your, by yourself. Oh, boy. Well, needless to say, I've never hooked <laughs> one up. But um, I'm adventurous, I, you know. I'm, I jump into. <laughs> You'll figure it out. You yeah. know, I'll jump into any. Yeah, that's right. Well, we'll, we'll MacGyver it if you we know, have to. Well, I, that's that's me. People have called me that before. But also, we got this wonderful thing called YouTube. And I hate Google and I hate YouTube, but boy, it is handy. Yes, it so is. So what do I do? I, I I YouTubed it. Yep. And I watched and watched and watched. Good idea. And when she got there, we we backed up. I hooked it up. I drugged the thing 300 miles, and it was like a pro. So, awesome. golly, snow change. Get on YouTube. <laughs> watch that gum. Two YouTubes, it, and you're the pro. Exactly. But here's the thing. Don't wait till you're at the top of the mountain, and it's 15 degrees and snowing, and there's cars and trucks everywhere, and it's a mess. That's not the time to learn how to I put agree. on chains. No, no, practice. No, just once, and, uh, just once. Get, yeah, you will be so much more familiar with it if you just do it once. Yeah, I'll throw in one more thing similar. And, and honestly, so, I, uh, I will, I'll, I'll say this too for people who might just be afraid of chains and trucks. In my experience, chains are so much easier to put on a truck than they are a car, a passenger vehicle. I struggle with chains constantly on passenger vehicles because you don't have any room to get inside the wheel well to work in there on most vehicles. It's tough. I I don't even, the only vehicle I mess with on chains, I still have a set of chains for my FJ um, because of the hill here. I can throw on real steel and, and get somewhere. But everything else for cars, I use auto socks. They're so much easier. But chains are Uh, much easier to put on a truck than they are a car. They're just bigger, but you have so much more room. 
Um, that's why I have auto socks now. And my, my hope is, and my planning is since I'm owner operator is I will never use them, but they're there right. if I need to, but I'm, they're, they're um, awesome to have. They take up no space. They don't weigh yeah. anything and they are amazing. Super easy to put on and they will get you out of a jam. Oh, and yeah, less space and so much lighter is unreal, yep. but, um, I, I'm, uh, the, the company I'm leased to, they, they do everything, everything. And, um, and so I wanted to, uh, they had opportunity to, uh, when things were tight, um, one of these companies that pulled doubles, um, uh, had opportunity and they, and so I'm like, Hey, I want to do that. I want to try that. I didn't have a pedal hitch, but you know, you can get by without it. So I signed up to pull these doubles and what do I do again in advance? I go on YouTube and what do I come across? I come across probably somewhere around a hundred pound little old gal that is working for a company pulling doubles. And so she's doing a YouTube video showing you how to hook up your doubles. So I'm like, well, I, cause I was feeling a little bit nervous about it. And after watching a little old gal hook up doubles like it was nothing. So I watched her videos. And when I pulled up to get my doubles, I was like an old pro. You know, I say there was a little so, struggle, but. Uh, so I got to tell you, know, you my, uh, uh, my first experience with doubles was not nearly as smooth as yours. Um, and, and I didn't <laughs> practice. But you didn't have YouTube. I didn't have YouTube. No, this goes back a ways. We would have been talking uh, late 80s. And I, I had not been driving for, let's see, this happened at Christmas. I remember that. When did I start driving that year? It was in the fall. Sometime in the fall. So I'm thinking I started maybe around September. So this is my first year driving. And I, I'm an owner operator. I started as an owner operator and I'm doing local pickup and delivery work around Northeast Ohio, 20, 25, 30 stops a day. Uh, but I've never really been out, you know, on a line haul run. And at the time I was young, I would take any work they gave me. I'd do trailer spots in the morning. I'd go do my regular 25 or 30 spots, I, stops. I'd go do late pickups at night. They knew if there's extra work, I'll take it. So it's Christmas Eve and I finished, you know, my daily run. And it was a long, long day. I, I had done some extra work. And at the end of the day, dispatch said, hey, if you want, we have a set of trailers. Um, no, they didn't say it that way. They said, we have a run to a line hall run to Cincinnati for this weekend if you want it. And I said, yes, I'll take it. Now, I've never really been out on a line haul run. Not that it seems like it should be any big deal. It's just another road, and I'm going to go to Cincinnati. Um, so I said, I'm going to go home, grab a couple hours sleep, and come back and go do it. Yeah, and they said, well, you have all weekend. And I said, yeah, I know it's Christmas. I just want to get it over with, so I'm going to do it tonight. So I went home, slept a while, came back. I don't know, it's like 2 o'clock in the morning. I get to the terminal. I grab the paperwork, oh, oh. and I look at the paperwork, and I'm like, wait a minute, there's two trailer numbers on here. I wonder which one's mine. And then it dawns on me, oh no, they're both mine. I have no idea how to hook up doubles. I've never been shown. I have no clue. 
and our dock kind of sat up on a, a, a rise. So you had to back uphill to get oh, to no. this dock. And my back trailer is still at the dock. My front trailer is out in the yard. My back trailer is still at the dock. I don't have a pinnel hook on my tractor, so I can't back up the, right. the dolly. And you, there's no way you're pushing one of these dollies through gravel up a hill. No. It ain't happening. No. So now you got to no. put the dolly on your back trailer and try to get it close enough and, and lined up to the rear trailer. That was the first struggle I had. Had I had a panel hook, that would have been two minutes and I would have been done. It was probably 30 right. minutes of me driving around in circles and trying to back this thing up this hill. Um, so that was a struggle. Then I, I'm trying to figure out the airlines and the valves and what am I supposed to do? And I don't even remember how I did it but I'm standing between the trailers, messing around with the hoses and the valves, and whatever I did released the brakes. I'm not even sure how I did it. The damn thing started rolling down the hill and I'm in between them. So that was another oh, fiasco. Oh, no. Luckily, there was nothing out in front of it and it stopped before it hit anything, but that was my first experience with doubles. And then I'm driving down the road for the first hour thinking, I really hope my back trailer doesn't come off. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it uh, that was trial by fire. Uh, yeah, yeah. They um, and did they give you the weights? I mean, did no. you even know what it weighed? Uh, oh, where no, to wait put a your minute. trailer? Yeah, a, a, actually, trailer. actually, I did. That was at um, that was Spartan when I did that, and we did know the weights. Now, once I went to FedEx RPS in the beginning, we never knew our weights. We only knew a percentage. They 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 didn't know the weight, so they couldn't give it to us. So we would just, when you looked at your bills at, at FedEx Ground or RPS back then, it would say the trailer might be 100% loaded, might be 0%, that's right. an empty, might be 50%, but that doesn't mean that a, even a 40% trailer could be heavier than a 100% trailer. So you didn't know it most of the right. time until you hooked them up and started going down the road. And there were a couple yeah. times where it was bad enough that I stopped and switched them around. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, it'll eat your lunch, but they give you the weights now. So it's not a guess. And I pulled, yeah, I pulled FedEx and yeah, they give you a percentage, which I, I did know what the trailer weighed, but that was a single trailer and they, but they still do the percentage yeah. uh, on the yeah. FedEx. But, uh, man, it, it just, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, hey, um, uh, let me ask you real quick what I, what I originally called about was, uh, okay, uh, in the mushroom world, uh, if you've studied that much at all, uh, there's a, you know, a giant in the industry, Paul Stamet, and um, they, you know, everybody kind of worships him. But anyway, he just came out. They patented um, some of his functional mushrooms, uh, lion's mane, and uh, mixed that lion's mane because it works on the brain and the cognitive. And they're mixing that with the psilocybin. This is a psilocybin deal. But they add niacin to it. And they're, they're trying to patent that combo because it will increase the effect 
Oh, they they are microdosing. So I mean, they're not trying to do a full blown right psychedelic right. trip here. So, but anyway, so I picked up on this ideal of niacin, and I'm familiar with it because I've taken products before. You know, and it'll turn you red and tingly, and um, sometimes more or less. Well, so I got me some niacin. I think, well, what if I did that with my reishi? Or or anything else, any other adaptions, and I do lion's mane too. Um, I do liquid, and then of course I've got all the four sigmatic, the coffee and the cacao and the chill, everything you sell. And so I'm thinking, what if I took this nice and and it gives me that giant flush? Do you think it will magnify and help all all these other things? That- I know nothing about this. I've never seen that concept. I have a feeling the niacin has more to do with the psilocybin than it does the other functional mushrooms. And they can't be selling this stuff, are they? No, 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 no. No, this is no, only. I just yeah, picked this, up. The, no, no. So the the there are a couple states now. I'm, I live in one, Oregon, that is allowing. Yes, pra- you do. Practitioners, one. right? There are some states that are allowing practitioners to use psychedelic mushrooms and other psychedelic drugs like ayahuasca, um, even acid, um, which is a man-made psychedelic. They're allowing them to use those. You, you use the term microdosing. So a microdose is an amount that is not psychoactive. You don't feel any kind of a high from it. There's not enough of it there. But there's this belief that microdosing some of these things can help certain conditions. We're still in the very, very early stages of this. Um, and I believe that the niacin is probably part of that, not just part. I Just based on what I know, I'd have to go do more research, but I would not be adding a bunch of niacin to try to make the mushrooms work better. Well, uh, well. It, one of the, one of the, down, okay. do you know what, do you know what niacin has been used for for a long time? Oh, uh, well, probably to uh, help the athletes. No. No, there's a very specific no? use okay. of niacin. It's to lower cholesterol. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't want to lower cholesterol. Okay. That's a bad idea. You know, I just well, I want good balanced okay. cholesterol, and if my number's high, I want it to be high. So I, I, niacin is a pretty powerful, okay. it, it's kind of an interesting oh. compound. I wouldn't be messing with it, I don't think. Uh, well, yeah, I, well, I agree, of course. People got to be careful now. Uh, hey, 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 let me ask you this: so you can go to the store. So, so by and the way, let, let's, is B three. Yeah, I was just about to say that. All we're talking about is one of the B vitamins here. We should be getting plenty of yes. niacin in our diet. There's no real real reason to be supplementing niacin. Yeah. Okay. So my wife has a bottle of B three, and it doesn't say niacin on it, and and she, you know, but then, um, but my, the, my, mine says right on the bottle, big, nice, and, and then below it, it says B3. So right. what are the differences in those None. two? None. They just chose not None. to put it on None. there. Okay. All of the, when we give 
names to vitamins like A, B, C, D, when we give them a, a, an initial like that, um, that's still just that nutrient. That That's all that is. So, and it has a chemical name as well. So, you know, we just refer to it as B6, but B6 has a chemical name. B3 has a chemical name. It, and then they have the, the Latin name. So it's really confusing, but niacin is niacin, whether they say it's B3 or not. Okay. Now, is it, obviously then it's not an essential. It's not considered uh, an essential. We, we need B3, but we can get plenty of it from our diet. It's not a hard okay. nutrient to get at all. And we don't need a lot of it. Well, I, I uh... Well, this is 500 milligrams, and I, I will say I got curious, and and I already knew what it was going to do, but whoo, it turned yeah. into a red lobster. Yeah, it's pretty pretty <laughs> oh, potent. Boy. Yeah, that that's one of the biggest and side I would effects say, from the people who take it to to lower cholesterol is what they call the niacin flush. And I would say if somebody got curious like I did and got some and whatever. It says one capsule, and I can I can tell you, you better not take two. Or you, yeah, you. Oh Look, it, man, I'm all for biohacking. I try it, see what happens. But um, for me, after well, and like I said, I I don't know. I'm not aware of this. Why they would be adding it to this, you know, psilocybin thing they're doing. But my guess is it has more to do with the psilocybin than it does um, the other functional mushrooms. Well, they wanted to boost everything, the lion's mane and that. And, and if you're curious, you can just look up. It's, they call it the Stamet Stack. Um, so he, and, here's, um, here's something interesting. We're, we're talking about mushrooms here. Mushrooms are one of the foods that are highest in niacin. I'm not, not sure why we would need to, to wow. add to that. That okay. may be one of the top foods as far as supplying niacin are certain species of mushrooms. Wow. And while we're talking about mushrooms are also the only other non-animal source of vitamin D. So we get a lot, can get a lot of vitamin D from the mushrooms if they have been exposed to either LED or fluorescent or the sun. They do still need to get the sun. But yeah, it's that's why the vegetarian vegans are... Well, being it, on it, this because they at least it, can get some. Well, it's one of the better plant sources of niacin. Most of the best sources of niacin are all animal sources. I mean, the top, um, we have liver, chicken, tuna, turkey, salmon, anchovies, pork, ground beef. We don't get to a plant until number nine. That would be peanuts, and we avoid peanuts for all kinds of other problems. Avocados are fairly high in niacin. Um, we like those. Brown rice is high. We'd certainly stay away from that. Whole wheat, stay away from that. And then 13 is mushrooms. So yeah, it's mostly animals. If, well, if you are a vegan or a vegetarian, you're going to have a hard time getting enough niacin. The rest of us, carnivore, yeah. you should have no issues with niacin whatsoever. Yeah, well, I'm definitely more carnivore than anything. So just three uh, ounces 
of liver gives you 100% of the niacin you need. Yeah, um, I've taken I've taken your pills, and man, I I grew up on liver, but uh, gosh, I, you got to get back into it slow. Yeah, and yeah, I and too. I bought that hamburger meat uh, with ten ten I think it was ten percent liver and hamburger, but even that it was a little strong. You, so I'm I'm gonna go it. back to making my own. Yeah, yes, there you go. Yes. So, anyway, well, I appreciate it, Kevin. All right. Thanks for the call. Calls are uh, flying in now. They're piling up on me. Let's get to them. Let's go to Texas. Jason, welcome to the program. Yeah, hey, Kevin. Um, hey, I've been trying to uh, kind of get prepared as best I can for this downturn, um, trying to cut expenses. You know, I sold off a bunch of equipment that I'd just kind of been having around that wasn't really getting used. And Good, um, good. Just trying, just trying to get everything kind of in line. Um, I've called you a few times, trying to figure out what to do with this uh, with this truck. Um, a couple of years back, my operation was a um, um, more like a heavy haul oil field kind of a kind of a deal. So, okay. the truck I've been driving around in the last couple of years is you know it was it was a four axle truck. I took the fourth axle off, so the frame is real long. It's a classic because all the highway trucks fell apart in the oil field. And, you know, I know I know you've been saying to hold off on buying equipment, but, man, the fuel economy on this thing is just hurting my feelings. Okay. And I've been trying to ride it out because the market's been so bad. I just I didn't know if, if you'd advise just still trying to wait it out or if I should be what? looking at possibly. What's the fuel economy on this truck right now? So I had been running the uh, the southeast um, last summer, and I had been getting about six and a quarter on average. Okay. Um, but you know, once I start traveling west, man, it, it really suffers. You know, you got that steady, you know, uphill right. all the way across the country, and <laughs> right. I'm I'm lucky to hit six. You know, and I've been doing a lot of stuff. Um, I, I'm from Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I'd like to, I'd like to get some more freight, you know, kind of closer to home, but fuel economy really suffers there, you know. So what, if you were um, to go buy a truck, use new, whatever you're looking at, what would be your goal? What do you think is reasonable that you could get for fuel economy in your operation? Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm just kind of doing uh, long haul stuff now. Um, I'm pulling a 53 foot step deck, um, I, that was one of the questions I wanted to ask you on this call here. Um, I know open deck, is, you're not going to get as good a fuel economy as you would with like a dry van or a reefer or something just because there's so many variables that are beyond your control. But um, I guess I guess I, I, I was kind of curious what you thought I'd be able to get with a properly My, spec truck. Uh, you know, I like to shoot for the stars and if i fall a little short no big deal um if i were building a a unit for this my goal would be nine it'd be tough depending on the freight you know the the big variable here is the freight there's some open deck freight that's not bad then there's open deck freight that's horrible and most operations you're going to get a mix of it so it's kind of hard to tell I'd be shooting for nine. If I got over eight, I'd be really, really happy. Uh, and if you got over eight at today's fuel prices, you're you're talking about twenty or twenty five thousand dollars in savings. Right. So the question then becomes: no. 
if we buy today and we hit our eight mile per gallon number, we're saving 20 or $25,000 a year. What are the odds that if we wait six more months, the truck price is going to come down $25,000? Probably not. So you may okay. be in the position to, to start looking. You don't have to be in a big hurry, but I would start seriously looking. And if you find that truck that makes sense to you, it's reasonably priced for the market today and it's got all the right specs and we think we might get to that eight number, seven and a half would still be a huge improvement. I, I think that the prices have pulled back enough and you have such a, a, a potential gain here that if I were you, I would start looking. Now, if the next call comes in and somebody asks me about buying a truck to start up, I'm going to tell them the exact opposite. Sit back and wait. But you're in a different position. I, I think you're at the point now where it's time to start looking and pull the trigger when you find something. Okay. Um, now, I mean, that kind of, that kind of raises another question. Um, I mean, I, I, I don't think I could swing for a new truck and the, the used trucks, you know, that are, that are specced the way that, you know, I hear you guys talking about, you know, on, on uh, the uh, technology and efficiency, efficiency show, I mean, they're, they're impossible to find, you know. Um, so here's I'm, the two. I'm, in, I'm here, in the nine plus mile per gallon group on Facebook. Here are the two models you, I, you've I got a to lot look of for. Specs. Volvo number okay. one. There are probably more well-specced Volvos on the road than any other model of truck. Volvo put enough effort into this finally that they know how to spec that truck right. And, and they're starting to train their dealers better. We are seeing more well-specced Volvos than any other model. Second would be a Cascadia. There's, there's some quite a few well-specced Cascadias on the market. So those would be the two models you're going to focus on. Focusing on anything else, and you're going to have a hard time finding the specs we talk about. And honestly, you don't want the specs we talk about in a Cummins. They just won't work. You don't want the specs we talk about in a pack car. It's not going to work on that engine. Um, the new international engine that that's coming out, it may work for those, but it, a lot of times you're not going to see those specs because it won't work on that particular engine. You can't run these kind of down speed, um, numbers we're talking about on an, uh, uh, X 15 just won't work. Okay. Now on Freightliner, those are the two that I had been looking at. I've, I've kind of been keeping a, uh, an eye on the prices myself. Um, over the last several months, and Good. those are the two I'm looking at. But the the thing that scares me of the on the Freightliner is um, that one box. I mean, it, I don't know a whole it's, lot about it, but it kind of sounds like it's a non-service. It's um, it's an issue. Here's kind of the way we look at this: the one box replacement on that Freightliner has kind of taken the place of the in frames that we don't really do much anymore. But okay. you could also look at the Volvo and say the Volvo doesn't have that issue. And, and that is a, a cost factor. When we look at vehicles, we look at total cost of ownership. And this is an issue. You have to look at that one yeah. box as a very common replacement. Now, if the truck is spec'd right, driven right, and we use the catalyst, I wouldn't worry as much. That one box is going to last longer. At some point, we're still going to replace it. It's going to be expensive. 
The biggest re- concern I have more than anything is, are they available? So if I owned one of these trucks, I'd be making sure I had access to one long before I needed it. But it wouldn't be, it's not a, a deciding factor for me. I'm not going to say, well, I'd never own a Freightliner because of that one box issue. It's just one more thing I've got to factor in the cost of. Jason? Oh, nobody there. Jason, I'm going to cut you loose uh, and I'll try another line. See if it's me or not. Tom in Illinois. Oh, I hear you there. Go ahead. Yeah, here I am. It's me. Uh, hey, Kevin. So, so I just, I just got reminded of something, not why I called, but I was driving through Kansas last week and I was on one of the state highways. So it's pretty wide open, you know, it's almost like an interstate. And, uh, in, on the left-hand side there, it has, uh, a drug checkpoint ahead. And then there was a cop car and then there was, um, it said, uh, narrow to one lane and it was on an incline. So you couldn't see on the other side, it was about a half mile hill. So you couldn't see what was on the other side. And then it said, uh, drug dog in use. And I think to myself, shit, I thought that they said that those were illegal, you know? So anyway, um, uh, uh, when I go to crest the hill, there's a cop hiding out there with binoculars, right? And so I crested the hill, and there was uh, just a couple cops on the other side in the middle, median, but uh, no checkpoint, no dogs, <laughs> no nothing. <laughs> hey, these Kansas cops got pretty smart, you know? So this cat's at the top of the hill with his binoculars, looking at the guy's throwing their weed or whatever out of the <laughs> car and got all scared from, <laughs> from the drug checkpoint narrow to one lane you know uh be prepared to stop you know it was, it was it was pretty well set up you know i slowed down and everything thinking oh shit you know oh anyway that, that just tickled me i thought well that's a that's a pretty clever uh uh, uh sheriff's department right there you know you know when i was uh when I was in high school and growing up in Northeast Ohio, we had a, an outdoor concert venue, uh, Blossom Music Center. Just an awesome place in the summertime to go watch concerts. And I, I went to a ton of them. But, you know, traffic getting in there, there were a couple two-lane roads you had to take to get into this place. It was kind of out in the, the um, Cuyahoga Valley. A beautiful place. But um, they would actually put cops up in trees with binoculars on that route and they'd be looking right down into the cars and busting people. Right. Oh my gosh. Right. And uh, they're probably all camoed up. Yeah, exactly. They had them up in trees. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's hilarious. Um, uh, well, comment on the guy earlier that uh, you cut off. I, that's why the only thing I don't like about your streaming thing is I get bad reception and not, not hear the important part. Um, the guy that didn't pay his payroll taxes, did he, did they, did they, did, they, did he do time? A year, a year and a day. And then three years oh, the of year. uh, supervised. Yeah. That's, that's pretty severe stuff I, for I, taxes. Prison. Yeah. You, well, I, I, I know that you say it's because you're spending other people's money, you know, it's, it's other people's it's money theft. that you're withholding, yeah. but in the, it, well, that, it is. It, yeah. But that's what our government's relying to run on too. You know what I mean? That's so that's, that's, oh, that's probably I, I, the, 
I, the, the biggest issue. I'd be the first one to stand up and say, I wish employer withholding would just go away. Make everybody write a check yeah. for their own damn taxes, and then we'll get some real tax reform. People will get involved, and they'll understand how much tax they pay. The government will never go right. for that because they know how hard it's going to be to collect. To collect it, number one, and then uh, the revolt coming around, number two, when uh, when everybody asks for, but, you know, every... You know, every week but, write write a check for you know four hundred and eighty dollars for for if you know for their for, for the withholdings and, and let, this let's and think that about, and the other thing and try to figure it out. Let's think about this. Let's think about how complicated the withholding system is. You have Social Security, half has to come out of the employer and half has to come out of the employee. You have Medicare, half comes out of the employer, half comes out of the employee. We could complicate it a little more, though, because if you earn enough, Social Security stops at a certain point, but Medicare doesn't. So that's one more complication to the withholding. Now we have issues of some people work in one state and pay taxes in another state because they live there. And we have those withholding issues that can get complicated. This is a complicated system. And like I said, if you get caught up in this as an employer, there can be some severe penalties, including jail time. We could we could eliminate this system with the stroke of a pen. With the fair tax, there is no withholding. This whole system just disappears. Yeah, I I, I, I would love it. It'll it'll never happen. It's that sort of you're, you're asked. You know, you're it's sort of like a, a term limits. You know, you're asking these uh, same clowns that write the, right. You know, yeah. write the laws, and you know what I mean. It's yep. just it, you know to 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 police themselves. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah. I'm almost, <laughs> I'm almost over it. Um, uh, I, you know, that, that is a question I have though. So I live, I, my house is in Idaho, but I'm never there. You know what I mean? I spent, uh, maybe I, I, I did spend the last four months of the end of last year there, uh, trying to get healthy, I had some health issues, but, but, um, I worked out of Nevada and I, but I don't have a Nevada address, PO box, even or anything. And you should the, get one. They already know I have the house in Idaho. Should I get, just get a PO? Is it too late so, to do last year's? Uh, I, no, I'm using it's my. Not too late to on, do last year. A year's. lot of forms I'm using. Uh, I would I'm, just do I'm, it. I'm using my just my work address. Yeah, I would. I'm just using my work address. For, I would go go for, establish uh, an, an I'm address. Never, I'm never there. I, go establish an address in Nevada, but for last year, I would just use whatever address you have. I, I would file it as Nevada. Um, so here's the yeah. thing. This is one of those weird issues. Is it possible to own ten homes in ten different states? Sure. Yeah. No, there's dream. nothing that would stop you from doing it. You you could certainly do that. Um, yeah. At that point, there has to be a set of rules that help us determine what our tax home is. And there are a set of rules and they're right. somewhat complicated. But what I tell people, just establish an address in a non-tax state and file it and fight it later if you have to. This is not one of those things that I see questioned in audits hardly ever. Okay. Yeah, that's what I'll do then. I'll just use my the work address because I'm I, I live in the truck. I mean, literally, you know, last year was I mean, except for last year, 
the four years previous to that, you know, uh, 300, I was, I spent, I was at home like four or five days. It was ridiculous. Right. right. Um, okay. And then, uh, the, the last thing changed. So when you have a twin screw, okay. And, and I'm driving a, uh, uh, freight liner, new ca- uh, cascade, uh, that evolution, that guy that was just called him, I want to look up that the evolution was, uh, geared a little differently. Right. And, and uh, I think they tried to help out with fuel economy, but, um, on this now, so on the twin screw, I can I can lock my axles right. So where do you put the chain? Do, I, I I always just put the chains on the front tires. I mean, unless you're an Orion and have to chain up, you know, then you have to do a throw a drag chain so. on the on the trailer. But um, on on this, I just chain chain up the front axles, and then I see guys that you know they're chaining chaining up all four axles. I never. I mean, I if 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 you know, I never needed it at all. It, yeah, well, I wouldn't do more than what I need. Chaining four is usually not required. I mean, that you'd have to have a really tough spot you need to get out of to chain four. Um, keep in mind that if the power divider is unlocked and you only chain one axle, when you do get stuck, right, the axle that's not chained is going to be the one spinning all the time. That's why you're going to be stuck. Yeah. But then once you lock in yeah. the power divider, now you will get power to both axles. So the one with the chain is now able to help you get out. But if you don't lock it, is it the front or the rear it, that, that uh, spins? It doesn't. When it's unlocked, the power will go to the axle with the least traction. It's backwards from what we think should happen, but that's because that's how a differential has to work. A a, a power divider is very similar. Always. Oh no, definitely not. So let's look at a let's look at a differential first. A pumpkin, a differential. It has it has to equalize the the spinning of the tires on a vehicle that's going around the corner when one tire has to travel farther than the other it the differential allows that to happen when you when you get a differential in a position that it's stuck we're just talking about one single axle right now the power will go to the tire that has the least amount of traction, not the one that has the most traction. That's why when you're stuck, you're always looking at the tire that's not even touching the ground and it's spinning. You're like, well, wait a minute. Why is that one spinning? Right. I want the power to the other one. But that's, <laughs> I don't want that one to spin. But I that, want the other one to spin. But yeah. that's not yeah. how a differential works. Now, a power divider is nothing more than a differential between the two axles. So it will do the same thing it will send the power to the axle that has the least traction. Then that axle will send the power to the tire that has the least traction. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it doesn't matter if you, if you chain up the rear, the, uh, uh, the rear drive, um, it, it's, uh, right. Uh, it, tires it, or the front drive. It doesn't, Right. doesn't matter. And then once you lock in the different or the power divider, then you're fine you're going to be okay. But if you don't lock it in, just know if you only chained one axle, that's going to be the one to spin. The other one will be the one spinning. Yeah. The only, the only time I do it is when I get stuck on a hill or going to get stuck on a hill, get over the hill, 
because you lock in that power divider and the, your, your fuel economy goes, you know, from seven and a half to five. When I first brought this topic up way, way back when, when I was first on the air, um, and I, I got a call one day and we were talking about this and everybody was confused and we were arguing about how all this worked. And I said, wait a minute. Somebody has to know the right answer to this stuff. And at the time, I was working a lot with Freightliner back then. Uh, Prior to that, I'd worked with Volvo a lot. So I went to the engineers and I said, look, guys, I, I, we need to get on a conference call. And I'm not getting off this call until (laughs) I I am convinced that I understand this right. And then I came on the air and I said, look, right. here's how it works. And man, did we fight. We fought and, it, and then finally we got over this and this is how power dividers and differentials work. And you, and you got right. Yeah. Now, uh, now if we can get the uh, fuel tax uh, uh, in an easy, uh, yeah. concise uh, <laughs> sentence or two. Yeah. Good luck with that. <laughs> be, hey, hey Tom. I'm going to cut you loose. I just looked down and man, I didn't even know we had this many phone lines. Um, now it looks more like a Monday. Let's go to Texas. Fred, welcome to the program. Asking you shall receive, I guess. <laughs> I know. You know, I, I, I ask at the open of every show. Phone lines are open. Jump in now. If you have anything, call. But then I have to, at some point, sometimes I have to say, all right, look, everybody, nobody's calling. And then they light up. So yeah. I've got a bunch now. <laughs> I hear you. I did myself in yesterday. I I have a power rack in the house, and I've been working on squatting some free weights just to get my tendons stronger. Yeah. So I do about I I have the bar set about three notches down, so I I don't go fully you know fully down to try to tear anything, and. So I do, I do like four sets of like 15 reps with like two and a quarter on there. And I don't know. I was walking it back into racket and I guess I stopped a little too short and I went to racket one side caught the other Ooh. side didn't. And I Ooh. twisted my back completely. Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. And it got worse and worse as time went on as the day went on. It just got worse and worse. But, uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell in, you. My, my my wife is funny though. Yeah, I know. I have to do that. I have to I have to do that. But infrared my wife is and funny. If, she wanted pasta yesterday. Hold it. One <laughs> one other thing in in Tenzyme Forte if you need to for short term pain. Oh really? Okay, that's it, good to know. So that's the intense. I just Intenzyme is just such a weird supplement. So it ends in zyme which means it's an enzyme, a digestive enzyme. It's actually a group of digestive enzymes that help us digest our food. But it's got a weird quality if you eat it or if you take it and you have to take a very high dose. Like we might take two for digestion. You might take 12 all at once for inflammation. But if you take Intenzyme on an empty stomach, and there's no food for it to work on, it becomes an anti-inflammatory. Wow. Yeah, it's really okay. bizarre, I but it works I really well. I talking about this yeah. a while back. Okay, yeah, because I just, I doubled up, uh, I, I took two, uh, two of the Biomega 1000s before I went to sleep. That may I help feel some, better yeah. Today. Just, it's, yeah. Still, it's still sore, because I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm, 
overly inflamed because I, so I created a penne vodka sauce with some sausage and some spinach and I'm looking at this meal and I threw some regular Barilla pasta in there. I'm saying to myself, why am I doing this to myself? But I didn't eat it. I did not eat it. I had, <laughs> I had, uh, I wanted to believe me. I wanted to, cause I, so, I, I love the way I cook, of course. <laughs> so have you, have you tried any of the cassava flour pastas on the market? You know, I tried a couple things. I, there was this one I got, I found in Costco, which was, I think it was, uh, soybean. Yeah, which I've was, seen. Which was, it, I'd it, stay away it, from it that one. Had a good texture. Yeah, just because. No, I it's know. Soy. I, I only, right. I only wanted to try it. I yeah. only wanted to try it. And then I tried. Actually, what I tried was this: these kelp noodles. Oh, I haven't tried which those. Actually, aren't too bad. I haven't tried those. Yeah, it's expensive. It's expensive. Um, but it has a good. I, I, my wife followed some influencer about keto, and she found this recipe with feta cheese and tomatoes and spinach. And uh, I dress it up with some onions and some sausage in kelp noodles. And it actually, actually pretty good dish. Um, I think I posted it a while back. If I could find it, I'll post it again. Um, but how are those hearts of palm? Have you tried those? I have. They're, they're interesting. Um, I, I can eat them. Lisa doesn't like them because they they get packed with a lot of citric acid and it's a it's used as a preservative okay. and it gives you that kind right. of sour taste. And and it just okay. it, I've tried to hide it and it always comes through it makes your sauces taste a lot more acidic. I don't mind acidic foods so yeah. I can deal with it. Lisa hates acidic right. foods. So I I Right, right. They're really simple. They're clean. It's nothing but heart of palm packed in water. I mean, that's really all it is. Um, right, it's just the way right. they cut I've it. See, so, I actually have. Yeah, it's a good yeah, alternative. I have some at the house. I just haven't tried it. Lisa okay. just isn't fond of that one. Cassava is pretty interesting. So there are a couple. Jovial is the um, the brand that, that I've been using. It's cassava flour and water. Nothing else. Two ingredients. The interesting thing was crazy high in carbs. Like a, if I remember right, I ate like a serving and a half one day. Um, I kind of measured it. Well, I know what it was. A box is three servings and, you know, Lisa and I split it and I ate all of mine. So it was like a serving <laughs> and a half. It's like, if I remember yeah. right, it's like 75 grams of carbs in that one meal. Whoa. Yeah. And I'm like, holy cow, what's this going to do to my blood sugar? And I had a CGM on. It barely moved. And I thought, wait a minute, wow. that can't be right. Except I went and checked. Cassava flour is very high in resistant starch. Oh, that's okay. Uh -huh. So you said jovial? Jovial. J-O-V-I. It is the closest I have found to real pasta. It looks like real pasta. You get all the same shapes, rotini and, you know, ziti and just about, mm -hmm. they got a ton of different shapes. Yeah. So it's the closest right. I have found to real pasta. Very hard to tell the difference. The only thing it doesn't okay. do, don't cook more than what you're going to eat at one sitting. It does not hold and reheat well at all. It gets awful. 
a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff doesn't. Right. A lot of, I notice a lot of stuff doesn't. Right. Yeah. But so, it, it, um, when I, I want like gluten and everything that makes everything safe, yeah. safe right. Better. When I want pasta, that's the one I use now. And I, I, I you know, jo- that, that's a nice okay. shot of, you know, resistant starch. It's good for our gut bacteria. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked how little yeah. that many carbs moved the needle on my CGM. I, it didn't even bump it up 15 okay. points. Yeah, I'm sure I can get it on Amazon, correct? I would think so. Yeah, I think we order ours from Thrive. Actually, I do have a Thrive account. I'll look at that. I'd love okay. Thrive. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to also uh, talk. Uh, I I agree with you. When I moved from New York to Texas, I've been here just over seven years and up until about a year and a half ago, I was still dealing with New York because I thought it was going to be easier to get away from that. <laughs> yeah. So paying, paying a service. I just, I just applied for a business license, you know, under my corporation with Texas, it was a minimal fee and I closed out the account up there. Thought I filed all the right paperwork, but a service would have done it the right way and when you don't know all the paperwork no one's up there is going to help you because it's a bu- bureaucracy you know I've, they're I've, there for eight hours they don't care if they help one person or a hundred people I, I have decided that when it comes to dealing with government agencies if i can pay somebody else to do it i will i i just will not deal with them yeah. anymore yep yep so, yeah, I would definitely, that's definitely a great recommendation. It, I'm sure there's a service out there. Like, I did my own authority. I did all of that stuff. I mean, it really wasn't a, a, a hard thing to do. Um, but, I mean, even that, I would, I, I, if I was going to have someone. My advice it, is I'd always, yeah. My advice has always been focus on the stuff you can't pay somebody else to do about your business. I, I can't really pay somebody else to get my fuel economy better, to get my maintenance numbers to better, build relationships. Those are things I have to do in my own business. That's what I should focus my time on. Anything I can pay somebody else to do, I usually pay them to do it, especially if it's paperwork and government. All right, Fred, the calls continue to pile up on me here, so we're going to move along. We're off to Oklahoma. Voitech, welcome. Hey, Kevin. Um, I got a rookie uh, trucking story for you. Um, it, it is March, so I got my license exactly 20 years ago, middle of March in 2003. And uh, I started my career driving uh, 87 international cab over with a 48-foot flatbed in California. And uh, for like a week or so, I didn't have any work, so I was just sitting home uh, getting a little antsy. Finally, a load came in, uh, middle of the day, and I had to haul ass from Sacramento to Bay Area to pick up a load of brick or something and take it to Monterey. So the, the deadhead was, you know, twice the pay <laughs> right. mileage, which is kind of stupid. <laughs> right. But, you know, I was, I was desperate. I was desperate, so I, I, I did it, and obviously this was no no uh, GPS, no nothing. I just had a cell phone, and I ran out of the house with just the clothes on my back, thinking, oh, you know, I'm just going to do this short run up back 
for dinner, right? Uh, <laughs> I picked up the load. I called the I called the receiver. I'm trying to get in there before 5 p.m. before they close some kind of landscaping yard or something, and they give me directions uh, in Spanglish, and uh, obviously my own fault. I didn't misunderstood the directions or something, and I get off in Monterey, and you know Monterey, it's all hills. I take the wrong turn, and I end up going up a hill into the residential neighborhood with oh, fully loaded no. flatbed <laughs> of stone. And this hill just keeps getting steeper and steeper, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? I'm guessing it's just past the, 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 the crest of the hill. Right. Well, that road was a dead end oh. with an apartment complex oh. at the very end, and I crest the hill, and there's nowhere to go because it's a dead end, except I got the only street. I have to back up a little bit right before the crest of the hill and make a right in a residential neighborhood that is 120-something <laughs> years old, tiny streets, <laughs> tiny houses, and and cars lining the both sides of the street, and it's right at five o'clock now, so everybody's coming home, and it's plugged up. Man, I was sweating bullets. I barely made that turn, and I had literally inches to spare between the cars on each side of the street to get my truck. All the people started coming out, seeing what the hell's going on, it was definitely a nerve-wracking experience. <laughs> I, I finally, I finally I, end up getting to where I was supposed to be, and they're closed, so <laughs> I get to sleep in the truck with nothing in it. <laughs> not even a sleeping bag, nothing. No, yeah. Not even a cell phone it's, charger, so I had to like be very, right. very yeah. stingy with my cell phone usage. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that was my first... Uh, Yep. First, first load. You always remember those. I, I thought I was going to... Yeah, I thought I was definitely going to rip up some cars and rip up telephone <laughs> poles. And I had to, you know, every two feet I moved that truck making the, those maneuvers. I had to get out, make sure I don't, I'm not hitting anything. Well, I, what a pain in the ass. Uh, so, but So I have a... I have a similar story. I'll just give the real, real quick edition of it. Um, early on, and I was running a lot of freight over in Pittsburgh. So I ran out of Cleveland, but I did a lot of like P&D work over in the Pittsburgh area. I might have six or seven stops in Pittsburgh and then, you know, grab something and head back to Cleveland or Northeast Ohio. And I, this was my first year, still really young. And I remember... Uh, I said I was going to tell the short version. I'm already adding to it. Um, it was one of the first times my <laughs> oldest brother, who got me started in the industry, and my dad, who was a big part of it, we all met out at the Travel Plaza on the Ohio Turnpike heading out to Pittsburgh. All three of us were going east that morning. So it kind of the first time I ever got to kind of hang out with my dad and my brother in the truck stop and have breakfast, and it was kind of cool. And while we're sitting in there, it just starts snowing like mad, like you couldn't see. Big, giant flakes. It was like a whiteout. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, Pittsburgh is going to be fun today. Well, you know what Pittsburgh's like with hills and small roads and bridges. And Pittsburgh is a nightmare yep. to drive around. 
So I'm trying to get off all these stops in Pittsburgh and the road just keeps getting worse and worse. And I, I need to make a left turn. And we're, this is before GPS. We're still using paper maps and written directions. And I missed the left turn. And the place I need to deliver is like a couple hundred yards down this road. I'm that close. But I try to back up and I can't. I get stuck in the snow trying to back up. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what am I going to do? This is heading into kind of a residential area. I don't know what's up there, but it doesn't look good. Luckily, I had a little local map and I actually got it out. And I'm like, oh, if I go up to the next street and make a left, it's just a short little street. You make a left, then the road turns left and it comes back right to where I need to be. I'm like, oh, well, that's perfect. So I go up there and I start to make the left. And as you're making the left, it goes downhill and then it makes another hard left. And on the right side of you is a cliff. Like if you fall off this cliff, they're probably never going to find me. And on the left side of this hard left turn is a berm and it's somebody's yard. And I start going around this corner and I've got my tractor over the right as far as I can go. I'm about ready to fall off the cliff and I'm dragging my trailer over this berm in somebody's yard. And I get out and look and it, it, the snow's packed so I'm not tearing up their yard. But now the trailer starts to lean because the trailer tires are going up on this berm and I'm thinking the whole thing's just gonna roll off the cliff. It took me like, a half hour to get around that corner because I kept getting out and walking around and looking and yeah it was uh it was pretty nerve-wracking I I was just about to walk away and just leave it there you know it's so amazing thinking in the back about all of the things that I'm sure most people have done behind the wheel of a truck when we were young <laughs> yeah. and stupid didn't know any better and are and Our propensity for taking risks which, and, and risk <laughs> behavior was much different than it I is know. when we get older and wiser. You're right. I, I used to, so I used to do all the local stuff in uh, California, and I had to go up to uh, little towns in like the Yosemite area in the mountains, and I went over the cliff a couple times, almost <laughs> went over the cliff a couple times with, yeah. with that cab over it. Yeah. And it, it's a well, that, that's a story for another day, but um, going back to that caller uh, that was in Kentucky and he wanted to move uh, his company to South Dakota. I'm actually going to be most likely moving to Kentucky, but I wanted to set up my corporation in South Dakota, and I called them to find out exactly what the particulars are about everything as far as the uh, you know operating a trucking company. And what the lady told me is that if I'm a resident of another state and I want to have a corporation in South Dakota, a trucking company, I have to have and, and have vehicles registered there. I have to have a physical office in South Dakota with an employee that lives in South Dakota and has, and I have to have timesheets proving that that employee physically works out of that location where the company's registered and does conduct daily business. So that's kind of, for me, that, that's a deal breaker. But if I'm a resident of South Dakota and I have a residency in South Dakota and my company is in South Dakota, then 
it's all good. So I'm thinking right. I'm just going to buy some twenty, thirty thousand dollar piece of land in the middle Correct. of nowhere. Yep. And set up everything at that address and, and call it a day. So that's kind of why I said it's just not worth all the hassle of trying to deal with two different states. A lot of this stuff never, ever gets enforced, but you have to know that it's a possibility. It's out there. Um, There are times where you can hire what's called a registered agent. You can actually contract with a company to become your employee in that state. And they don't charge that much. So there are companies out there that that's that's one way of getting around some of these things. I'm telling people, though, if you're this small, just just have a physical location in that state. Really, don't try to deal with two states. Right. Yeah, exactly. And there are lawyers. There's there's attorneys that will uh, act as they'll do all the paperwork for you and you can use their address to have a virtual office. And it's actually something to look for when you're trying to deal with brokers that are kind of new and I always look up their address and see where they're located if it's a house or if it's an office and if you look up an address and the address comes up in some downtown high rise in some big city <laughs> and you do some you do a quick background check and it's an office where there's 1500 different companies registered and it's a law office you know that, and it's a Google number or something, you know that the scam is waiting to happen with a yeah. brand new broker uh, that's yeah. triple brokering freight, and you'll never see him you know, once the load is delivered. So Good, good point. That's yep. something to look for, too. You're right. All right. We're going to move along. Calls are busy now. Let's go to Michigan. Jeremy, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Um, quick background. My wife and I have been on keto or doing keto since uh, 2015. Okay. When you announced it at your last CMC in Kansas City. I remember. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, fast forward. My wife is now about 13 weeks pregnant. Oh, congratulations. It's, thank you. It's her first pregnancy. Um, exciting. Very little, very little information out there about uh, being keto and pregnant. I can help you with that. So we're, I can help you with that. So cool because we we have we have a lot of questions about supplements. Our take mainly, originally. So let's talk about the food itself, the diet, and then we'll talk about supplements because the the issues are very different. Um, food wise, right. in the beginning, we our take was. If you are pregnant, that's not a good time to switch your diet. That, that's what we used to say. As long as you are keto when you became pregnant, it's not an issue at all. There is nothing about keto that's dangerous for a pregnant woman. It's very good for them. We've switched. After enough research and enough thinking through this, we thought, well, this is kind of stupid. We're, we're telling people to stay on a horribly toxic reactive diet while they're pregnant instead of switching to a healthier diet because we're worried it's too much of a shock to the body. And that turned out to not be, we we don't need to be concerned about that. We've had people transition into keto and carnivore while they're pregnant, no problems whatsoever. In fact, things get better. So food wise, switch all you want. 
switch while you're pregnant. We've never seen this be a problem. Supplements are another matter. We, uh, we do um, make it a point to list, biotics list all their supplements that you know shouldn't be taken while somebody's pregnant. I will tell you this, it, it's an overabundance of caution. Let's think about this. We're going to tell some woman she shouldn't be taking, I don't know, MCT oil. That That's not one of them. But we're, we're telling women that they, that they shouldn't take this natural nutrient because it might be dangerous while they're pregnant. And yet we were pushing a vaccine on them that had never been tested. Right. So, yeah. It, well, she, there, stayed, there, she, stayed, she stayed keto, so yeah, she and, hasn't changed her diet. From which when is she fine. Was, like I said. Well, except even, she's, getting, she's getting more extreme on it. Yeah, which is fine. Uh, like I said, even if she wasn't keto, I'd say go ahead and switch if you want. Supplements, you can check on every supplement, whether or not, you know, you should take it during pregnancy. And it seems better to just be a little overcautious during pregnancy and not take those. Right. Well, the main one she's uh, worried about was uh, Cardio Miracle, uh, Betaine, and the Beta TCP, because those are the ones that she was taking most of the time. What I don't do, I don't try to remember these. We have a bunch of right. them, and sometimes I could say, well, the cardio's fine. I, I think the Betaine's fine. I, I don't try to memorize them. I just look them up. Um, if you want to schedule a, uh, a a discovery call with Lauren, she'll go through all of them with you just to make sure. She tried to do that, and for some reason, she can't get the um, NutriQ to come in. Huh. She actually tried several times to get a NutriQ. You know what? She can't get it. It, it. Just don't. If you don't want, if you want to do the NutriQ, call um, Tribe Care, and they'll they'll make it happen. We'll get it done. If you are only, if you don't want to mess with the, you know, she's probably healthy and doing just fine. You may not need to mess with the NutriQ. Just send Lauren a, an email and say that I approved this one without a NutriQ. You've just got some questions and we just want to verify the the supplements. And I, I could probably do it right here on the air with a couple quick searches. I just don't like to do that. You know, I, I don't want to slip and tell somebody, yeah, this one's fine during pregnancy when it's really not. Right. I understand. Okay. Well, that sounds good. That's uh, what I needed to know. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ohio. Joe, welcome to the program. How are we doing today? Doing good. What's on your mind? Gear ratios and when do I pull the trigger? Okay. Um, my miles per gallon, my miles per gallon is locked. I've got an O2 Volvo, 12.7, 10 speed, 390s. I drive 264 miles a day. In the winter, I'm at 6263. In the summer, 6667. And I've been squirreling away money for a 13 speed and the 264s. I'm not quite there yet on the 264s, but the 13 speed I can go get any day I want. But I'm waiting for a vacation, so when I send my when I leave, I can send the truck off and have the transmission installed. But over the weekend, I did come across a set of free three fifty fives. Don't bother. Now, give me an afternoon don't, and don't, don't bother. Don't bother. It's not don't worth bother. It. Now it. You know, honestly, your spec is almost exactly the spec on my last truck that I got rid of. 
Um, it was a 99 Volvo with 390s. At 57 miles an hour, that thing got incredible fuel economy. I'm on 70 east to 77 south. I'm 80,000 pounds both ways. It's too hilly. I cannot hold that 57. Oh, yeah. In 10th so year. Where are, you, where, where are you going to on 77? I go down to friendly uh, West Virginia right on the other side of the border about 20 miles. Yeah, that's it. And it gets worse if you keep going on 77. It gets really rough as far as the hills through West Virginia. But yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, Seems to me like the fuel economy should be better than this. I know that's heavy and those are those short, steep hills. Um, There's no aerodynamics on the truck. It's a spread axle dump. Oh, got it. All right. That all makes sense then. Yeah. No, don't mess with the 355s. They're, they're, they're not worth it. To spend a little bit of money to get the gear set, because you've still got the labor and everything else with the 355s, get the get the right gears and two. Well, that's something I can do at home. Yeah, yeah, but it's still your time and your yeah, labor. So, so there's no point throwing 355s right. in here. They don't improve much of anything. Okay, that was, that was the thing. I mean, if they're free, I go get a couple buckets of gear lube, like, I spend, you know, four, six hours in the shop. I swap it out. But if there's Here, no validation to it, let, I'll just keep let, saving my money. Let me tell you what I would do if I could only, aff- you said you could afford the transmission. How much are you paying for the transmission? Uh, 75 Installed? For, no, that'll be, a, that'll be on me. I got a transmission jack. I can do it. So you're going to do it. So, okay, so we have 7,500 in your time. If it were me yes, and I could only do one, I'd do the gears. Gears are far more important than the transmission. Well, you're not, you're not wrong on that aspect, but I was just thinking, you know, from eight to nine, nine to 10, that gap is so it's big. big. I know. And it's I'm a, pulling those still. I'm, I'm running up to 1800, 1850. Then I drop all the way down to 1300, which gets underneath the torque curve of the motor at 80,000, especially pulling out of Marietta on North on 77. It, it does. It makes it kind of undrivable. It's, it's a little difficult, but let's think about those difficult times we're talking about. We could measure those times in seconds throughout the whole trip. Yeah, it's going to happen over and over and over, but we're not losing that much fuel economy over that one issue of shifting between, you know, 10th and 9th. It's just not affecting our fuel economy that much, but putting in the It feels like an eternity though, doesn't it? I, I know. Putting in the 13 speed will do zero for fuel economy. It won't improve it at all. It may improve a tenth or two, not enough that we can measure it. So, yeah, the truck becomes more drivable, but you've just spent $7,500 and you'll get zero back. If I spend the money on the gears, yeah, I got to struggle a little bit, but I'm actually going to see a fuel mileage improvement on day one. I think I know where there's a set of 264s and a bone. I can go either way at this point. I do the gears. So um, I know. Okay. Well, then maybe truck's going to be down Friday for maintenance. Maybe I'll just take a long lunch. I'll run down to down to Athens and I'll look at that rollover truck and see what kind of position those gear sets are in. Yeah. Yeah, I would. 
Okay. Well, good. All right. Well, other than that, um, with the, the the income on this run is pretty good, but it sucks because I can only do one a day. I'm only working like six hours a day, five and a half. And then my income from Pittsburgh Power being a remote tuner, um, I've got the good turbo, I've got the OPS, I've got the fast fuel, uh, basically everything except for the manifold because when I decide to spend the money, it's out of stock. I should just pay for it and wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good idea. And it's a really, it's a really enjoyable truck to drive. I mean, so, it's like 650 horses. It's fun. But I just, I'm trying so, to find a way. My actual operating cost is a dollar eight a mile, oof. and it's killing me. Yeah, that's steep. That's steep. So I, I had a very, very similar run to that when I was first starting. Um, a two hundred and eighty miles a night from. Akron uh, to Columbus, Ohio. I'm back with doubles every night. It was about a six hour day. Um, I loved it because it was overnight. And that was when I went back to school to learn accounting and tax and financial planning and all that other stuff. So that job worked out awesome for me, but I get it. it it's not enough money, um, not enough miles to, to really support an operation for somebody who wants to be semi-retired or you know, it's kind of nice for that. What, what about this? You, you mentioned that you're a remote tuner, so you've already got that set up. Have you ever thought about picking up uh, MD alignment equipment and doing that? I, I haven't got to talk to Mike about it yet. I, I talked to him a lot. I, my, the, the shop, you know, I get one, maybe two trucks in a month. It'll generate me a couple thousand in revenue. And nobody wants to change from the standard. If it, even though Mike's technology is proven, if it's not a $20,000 hunter, they don't want their truck on it. <laughs> That's so screwed up. Because I will tell you, I have gotten some horrible alignments from $100,000 machines. Oh, yeah. And, uh, we have a guy, he's about an hour from me. And the first thing I did with the Volvo is I put 10 brand new tires on the back of it the day I bought it strapped them down. I went out there and had them do an MD alignment and swap my tires and drove it back. And I mean, it's, it feels like I was in my pickup. I mean, it's smooth. It tracks. It doesn't wander. If you let go of the wheel for a second for to grab something you dropped, it's still going straight. I love it. But I, I don't think it would validate me because nobody in my area wants to change from the norm. And yeah, I mean, it's a bummer because well, I, think it, I think I can make it. Yeah, I, I, I would consider it. I mean, it um, the equipment's not that expensive. Uh, the equipment, the training, it's fairly simple. You've probably seen it and carry it around in a bag. Um, and I think there, there are enough people out there. You know, if you weren't already doing something like this, I would have never even thought about that. But since you were already doing the remote turning and you're only working six hours a day in the truck... I'd consider it. I have, a, I have a banner being made right now that, that spans the length of my pickup truck, and I'm going to start going up to the truck stops at Pittsburgh Tunes here. Ask me how. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I mean, I don't no. know. I don't know. I don't know if it's going to generate a lot of revenue. I mean, a lot of company drivers in that particular spot, but I've got to be able to generate some. You would think. I would. I would think so. And if you could do alignments, you know, that wouldn't be a bad gig. I mean, maybe I'll talk to talk to Mike when he does his show. He's on Thursdays, right? Yeah. Yep. Maybe I'll call him and see what he's got to offer. Yeah. Give it a shot. I appreciate it. That's uh, 
So I guess maybe this weekend I'll have some new gear sets to put in and then talk to Mike and maybe I'll look into the alignment. It, it'd be great. Call me. And, you know, I've got a shop big enough that I can pull a, a, a you know, just a regular tractor in. I can't oh, get a trailer perfect. in, but I get a tractor in. That's perfect. Yeah. yeah. Give it a shot. Then call me back next week and let me know how all this goes. Let's go to Illinois. David, welcome to the program. Good morning. I need to pick your brain for a minute. All right. I'm I'm one of those individuals. We've talked and even met at Louisville one year. I'm one of the extremists. I make my own single axles with lift axles and such. Okay. Our operation is such our operation is such that my wife and I have been preparing. Okay, currently we run together on one truck pulling a Conestoga loaded one direction and then we bounce back empty as fast as we can to grab the next load that we've been doing that for about five years now we're preparing to start running two units because when you sit down and do all the numbers and the miles and the amount of work we want to do it just makes better sense plus we might stand a better chance of not being in divorce court eventually okay which i have to say is all my fault but anyhow, we've already acquired the second trailer and looking around and finally finding the one that's spec right and was priced right. We've got a second trailer. We've been now looking at the second truck, which we're only looking at another truck because she wants to try an auto shift. We've always had manual shifts and every truck I build, we have a different transmission and then she gets aggravated as she puts it because she has to learn all over again. She doesn't get the concept that they're all basically a 10 speed with just a couple extra gears. If you want to use them, if you don't, you don't. But anyhow, we've been looking at newer model Volvos. Our mindset is we're only going to be running for another year or two. Primarily because we just had to do an in-frame in our truck that we're currently running. It's a 3 million mile truck and we just threw another in-frame in it. So we're going to be out here for at least another year to justify our money. <laughs> but we're looking at, you know, the prices have been coming down now here in the last, especially in the last month, they're becoming more plentiful. My, my dilemma is, is do I just, okay, our operation is such we have unlimited freight. 90% of our places that we go to are open 24-7, which is a major difference. I've been out here 42 years, and I've never had an operation as easy as what we have now, primarily because of the availability. We don't schedule anything. We drive until we're sleepy. We pull over and sleep, whether it's an hour or two, whatever, because you don't have to worry about meeting someone else's schedule because they're all 90% of them are 24 seven. So it just makes for a killer operation. So we're preparing to run the second truck. My question is, should I just go out and just grab another Volvo? Okay. The Volvos, let me get that. the Volvos that are easily found are in that 2015 to 2017 range, but the gear ratios are just a little bit higher than I'd like. But you can, I've been finding a lot of them in the 30 to 32,000 range. And we could be making money with it tomorrow. And our return is, on the average, our return on money would be a dollar to a dollar twenty a mile. That's after 
our fuel cost, which, because I do all our own work and everything, not taking in the cost of the truck, fuel is the only out-of-pocket expense we have, which right now we're averaging 52 cents a mile. Okay. My question is, I can go out and get a truck tomorrow and put her to work next week. It may not be quite as ideal, but, you know, we're only looking at running this truck. She only likes to work about two weeks out of the month. And let's say we're going to do that for a year. Or do we take a little bit more time, you know, with the volatile market like it is? Right now, we have major work still, and, and we'll lose some. But what we do is contract. It's, it's been contract. This entire time, we don't haul off the, the load boards or any kind of spot market. Everything we do is contract, but we're still averaging $1.90 a mile for all miles. So my, my brain is saying for every week that I delay to find that perfect truck, I'm losing revenue of two to $3,000 out of our pocket. So my question in a nutshell is, do I keep... Well killing time trying to find that perfect truck or do i just grab one of these mediocre fleet volvos and, and volvo with the eye shift is the only thing we're looking at but like i say okay for so example let, let, there's let, a let, couple right, of right, there right, are let's, let's jump to the chase here um so you're only going okay. to do this for one year and then what retire <clears throat> one to two years maximum and then my mentality is because we've been so blessed with the income we're making and have been making, my mentality is I'm looking at buying this truck for the revenue it's going to generate in the next year, two years max, and then I'm going to give that truck to somebody that, say, is just starting out or hasn't had it quite as good. I'm not looking at the truck from a resale standpoint. I've never looked at my trucks because if, there, if there's resale value, I figure I need to be running it longer. <clears throat> We're primarily just looking at it to make her life a little easier with the auto shift and to generate some more revenue. So if some you faster revenue, because, you know, go ahead. So if you, when you're talking about these kind of, you know, not perfect trucks, maybe doesn't have the exact gear ratio, we're we're only talking about potentially running this truck really for what would be six months. You said a year minimum, but she only works every other week or whatever that was. She only works about half time. So we're really only talking about a six month period here. Buy the just buy the truck Correct. that's it would be close to the specs. I mean, by the time you find the right truck at the right price, the six months going to be over with. <clears throat> Well, that's exactly what I've been thinking. We, we'd be putting a maximum of 100,000 mile on, you know, since we're, we run 175, 195 a year now. Wait, wait, that's two of you in one truck, though. Yes, and by dividing it, 100,000 would be the maximum that this truck but will But you see. said she only likes to work every other week. How's she getting 100,000 miles working every other week? Um, we would be close to that. Okay. Well, maybe not because this wouldn't yeah, be a paper truck. 
75,000 is probably more realistic for her. That might be pushing it, but we'll we'll go with that. But either way, just based on time, and if you can, you know, a decent Volvo, we're going to get seven, seven and a half miles to the gallon, even if the specs are off a little bit. You're, you're never going to make up the lost revenue in fuel savings on this short time frame like this. Just go buy a truck and put it to work and, and spend the least amount possible. The last thing you want to go do is buy an overpriced $100,000 Volvo right now because you say you don't care about resale. I do. I don't want to get killed when I bought the wrong truck. Correct. Well, like I say, I'm just mainly looking on the See, revenue that it will generate or I, return well, on but, investment. But wait, but, but wait a minute. The only way you can look at the return on investment is to look at the net. And the net has to take into account the cost of the truck, the fuel economy. Even if you do maintenance, there's still a maintenance cost in there. So, and we still have license plates and correct, insurance. Correct. You said fuel was your only cost, which is just not true. You have license plates, you have insurance, you have permitting, you have tires and and items that wear out. Even if you do the maintenance cost or the maintenance, there is a maintenance cost. So I would buy cheap here. Correct. Correct. Well, that's all that's all going to be the that'd be the same whether I get the optimal truck or just a mediocre truck. That's not true. That's not true. Maintenance is affected by specs. You spec wrong, your maintenance cost goes up. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm referring more to the fixed expenses, but yes, the maintenance and the fuel would would differ based on the spec of the truck. But because of the time frame, well, I couldn't decide if I should be. Is is determined by the price. So you're telling me you've got these thirty and thirty five thousand dollar trucks in your sights? Those are good numbers. You could easily spend twice that, and then your fixed cost is affected. It's double. Correct. Okay. So I'd be out picking up a thirty or thirty-five thousand yes. dollar truck, reasonably well specced, and be done with it. Okay, I appreciate it because that—that's been my main dilemma: whether I should be holding off or just I would, I wouldn't pulling hold the out trigger anymore. and getting one. And- Putting her to work. Yeah, if you're telling me you have found thirty and thirty-five thousand dollar trucks, then buy one. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, actually, I should change it. I should start saying good day, mate. Just to annoy. Just to mess people. Yeah, just to mess with people. It's a good idea. Yeah. In fact, in fact, there's a new rule. How to have it to break? Well, I'm going to give you a little incentive. If I hear howdy, I'm going to hang up on yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> Good eye. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, why break a habit? That's right. Um, so I, I, I got a, I got a couple of things quickly. So I, I pull up to get fuel on Friday afternoon in Texas, and uh, I'm looking to see what the fuel price, my discounted fuel price is, and logging on to on duty to fuel, and I see this tanker the next lane over in front of me and it had Texas on the back of it. And I was like, I wonder if that's Fred. And a guy walks across in front of me 
I hop out and I'm pumping fuel and next thing this guy comes back and he's like, are you Paul? I said, yep. And he says, oh, I'm Fred. So <laughs> we ended up talking for about half an hour. Did, so. did you really? I, I oh. knew I'd... Yeah, I, I knew I'd I knew I'd bump into him one day, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Went, so yeah, Friday was a day. Yeah, so, I like yeah. that. Um, and you, I missed part of it, but you were talking about backing doubles. If anybody wants to see backing doubles, just Google uh, road train drivers in Australia backing B trains or doubles, and you'll find plenty of it. Yeah, so one what- of the. What we were actually talking about, I was telling a story about my first time hooking up doubles at two o'clock in the morning on Christmas Eve when I had never been trained and the back trailer was at a dock that was uphill in gravel. So without a pinnel hook on my tractor, there's no way to get the dolly (laughs) up in front of that trailer except to hook it to the front trailer and try to do it. And uh, if you've never done that, that's... uh, that's an interesting experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, am I going left or right? Or, yeah, yeah <laughs> practice. So, but yeah. So, but if people want to look at um, people successfully backing double trailers, A train, B train, road train, just Google Aussie road train groups, and you'll find plenty of it. So, yeah, yeah. I, I, I got um, so desperate at one point, I was even trying to use rope and anything I could find bungee cords to try to hold the dolly onto the back of the frame on my tractor and, and then just get it close if I could. But, uh, yeah, it was a, it was no fun. So, so the, and I heard you say that, uh, there's a lot of really good spec Volvos out there. Well, there's also a lot of poorly spec Volvos out there too. So there are. I think some there of the are, Volvos. Yeah, it, I think some of the Volvo salespeople came from selling Packard products, and they oh yeah, three hundred eight. Oh yeah, good. I know. Yeah. So here's the difference. Yeah. If we look at almost all the other trucks, other than the two I mentioned, the the Volvos and the Cascadias, I can find yeah. Volvos and Cascadias spec ideally. I mean, I can find some spec perfect. I can find some others that are at least close. Most of the other trucks, it's hard to find. Now, I can also say that some of the other trucks, we might look at an X-15 and it might be spec just fine for an X-15, except I don't want those specs. I I just, they're not efficient. So in other trucks, it's just hard to find things that are spec'd properly. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I, I don't, I don't see me buying another Cummins powered truck. I, I don't think, but maybe, uh, maybe something happened. I don't who know. Who knows? So. Who knows? But the the more the more I the more I follow Joel and Henry Albert, the more I w- want to I want to buy a Volvo. Actually, so, yeah. <laughs> I know. I get it. Yeah. Well, actually, I tell I tell you what I would really would like. I think I said this one other day. So I'd like a new Peterbilt with a Volvo engine, transmission, and driveline. <laughs> there you go. Right. There. You know, there used yeah, to be a time when you could do all those kind of crazy things. You could buy any truck you wanted with any transmission, any engine, any differentials. You, you could do that. Yeah. Yeah, not so much anymore. So. No. Nope. Yeah. Those days are gone. So. Right. I imagine you've got people waiting. So. I do. Next, please. All right. We'll uh, we'll move along. 
We're off to West Virginia. Herschel, welcome. Now, Paul, if you change it to good day, mate, how am I going to know what to say before you answer the call? See, that's the point. We, we, when you, you say it you out guys, loud. You guys are getting complacent and comfortable. We got to shake things up. <laughs> well, now that Friday on trucking technology and efficiency. Yeah. You were talking, you, some, somebody brought it up about cost plus fuel. Yes. There is a way to know what you're paying, at least the way that I do it. Um, I have Com Data. I've been doing it for years. They have an application called uh, Fleet Advance, Com Data Fleet Advance. It's a free app. You put the app on your phone. You enter your Com Data credit card number right into the app. And once you do that, the weirdest thing with this app, once you load in your card, you have to close the app completely, then reopen it because it won't show you price until you do that. I don't know why. I've tried it on Androids, Apples, it doesn't matter. But once you close it and then reopen it, it shows you your real price that is the cost plus, and you just scroll the map around, and the better price is actually green instead of orange, so you can see the better price. Oh, good. Two truck stops together. Yeah, that works. (laughs) And then for years before that happened, TA is the only one that I know, that TA has a... I always call it TA fuel price line, and that's really what it was. You called that number, but the tricky part of that one, you had to know the four-digit store number that you wanted to check. Like Hurricane West Virginia was 3270. So you typed in on your keypad 3270, and then it would tell you your cost plus price is. That's what it said. It was an automated message. And they changed it at midnight. So once it was set, that was it for the day. So you could check the different TAs. That's the only way I know to do it without the Combat app. So there's one way of finding out what your cost plus price is. Got it. Yeah, that's a nice little hack. And then you, yeah, then you had two, actually two guys today now talking about Volvo. And I just thought I'd tell you my result. Just for kicks and grins, it might help them figure out what to buy. This one's an 18. It is the XE package, so it has the I-Shift, but it's just the single overdrive I-Shift. It's not the one that Joel has. It's like two crawler gears and all that. Okay. 264 rear end, 264 rear end, D13, of course. This one's set at 500 horse, 1,700 foot-pound torque. Now, I do drive it at 55 miles an hour all the time. I started that when it hit six bucks a gallon. And I got to do something. Yeah, right. But I haul the railroad containers, railroad containers, 20-foot box. The box is eight and a half feet from my cab extender. There's nothing you can do about it. Right. Right now, my 90-day average is 8.11. That's pretty impressive pulling containers around. So that's not too bad. Uh, that guy with the Conestoga said he was empty half the time as well. And I thought, well, if I can do that with a junky old container box, yeah, he might be able to do about the same. But is he going to drive 55 hey, miles an hour? Who knows? Speaking of, of rates and that kind of stuff and half empty, um, I posted an article this morning about how rough the economy really is getting and, and trucking. And I asked people, how's your business doing? Um, here's one of the responses. 
Quote, my business is in the toilet and the company I am contracted with found a loophole to only pay us half our money. They are supposed to pay us $2.74 a mile for hauling hazmat, but they don't pay us for the return trip. So you're actually only making $1.37 a mile. I'm shocked that we're already seeing rates like that around. That is horrendous. Now, I have to say that the... the, tone of this they found a loophole to only pay us half our money no they didn't there's no loophole here this is clear you have a contract your contract says you're going to get paid one way at this rate and you're not going to get paid the other that's not a loophole that's just business you agreed to it right but those are horrible rates that's awful you and i were talking a week or so ago about my company, STG, cutting our now, price. Now, hey, hey, they did. hey, Herschel, I don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I want to make sure I get this yes, thought sir. out. It's possible, I guess, um, and maybe I'll ask this person on Twitter because that's where all this is. Did they used to pay both ways and, and now they've stopped? It almost kind of sounds like that. It says they found a loophole. And again, it's not a loophole. It's just business. They can pay whatever they want. You either agree to it or, or they don't. But maybe they changed. If they did that, I'd really be interested in knowing that. I mean, that's a desperate company. If they were paying both ways and now they've switched. And I, like I said, if that's yeah. not the case, then you should have known this before you ever signed that contract. If they switched, I'd be shocked. Because I can't imagine a single owner-operator would stay for that. Wow. Well, it did come down the other day. They did cut. Uh, they took all the bobtail legs out. We don't get anything for that at all now. No. Wow. They took the so, they took the city jumps, you know, the stuff inside of 270 in Columbus. It was $60 plus fuel. They took them down to 50 loaded, 45 empty. So that comes wow. out to, if I remember right, eight, 18% on the empty leg, 26% on the loaded leg. That's just on the base pay, not on Jeez. the surcharge. When you throw that in, yeah, when you throw that in, the percentage gets worse. So um, let me ask you something. 2% I, on, the, on the regional line call. I, I should know this, but for some reason I'm not remembering. How long have you been doing this? 20 plus years in intermodal. Okay. Um, Do you ever remember a time carriers cut pay to owner operators? That's why in our last safety meeting, they were talking about maybe we're going to do the cut. And I said, guys, I've been driving trucks of some kind for just over 35 years now. I have never Never. seen a cut to to an owner operator. Right. Never. I, I haven't either. And we've yeah. been, uh, 08 was a tough, and, tough time. And I don't remember anybody cutting pay. What I remember, it, it so I actually remember slow. them making an issue out of the fact that some carriers weren't going to increase pay each year like they normally do. I remember a little bit of that happening. Carriers saying, well, we, you know, normally we give a one or two cent raise every year. We can't really do that this year. I remember a little bit of that, but I do not remember carriers cutting pay to owner operators. And you're the third example I've heard of it already. 
a friend of mine that actually works here at STG was going to go over to Time Dispatch there in Columbus, and in the beginning of processes of the application and everything, he was told 72% of gross, 100% of fuel surcharge is what you'll get. It took two weeks to get to the part where you're going to sign the papers to actually be leased on. When he got to that day, he's looking at it as right before he started to sign. He said, wait a minute. You told me 72% of gross. This contract says 70. What happened? Yeah. Well, they changed, corporate, changed, corporate changed their mind. They took that away before it ever got to pay out. So they did it too. They said they were re- raising it up and then to 72, but they took it away before they ever paid it out. Yeah. Yep. yep sure did. That's, this is not a good sign. You and I have both been at this somewhere between 35 and 40 years, and neither one of us have ever seen that happen. That's not a good sign. I told Kelly, the terminal manager, last week when they put this out that they were doing the cut. I said, Kelly, right now it is so slow that you have six to eight drivers every morning that do city just around Columbus waiting for the dispatcher to finally show up for work at 8.45 when she's supposed to be there at 8 o'clock. There's part of your problem. You know, but you have I, these guys sitting here. The day the day is coming. You're not going to have anybody sitting here because they're going to lose their house, their car, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. How long I, does I, it go? I, I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. I can't. You know, when I first started in trucking, you go back to mid-80s, um, I remember there just not being enough freight a lot of times. I mean, I can remember signing on with a new broker and he couldn't find me a load for the first two weeks. That's so unusual now. How long has it been since we've really talked about slow freight? Oh, well, you know the way it is. You're driving up the highway, you're doing your load, and it's something that's got a decent number of miles doing intermodal. And you're going to make okay for the day. And the phone rings, you look over, and you see who it is. Like, ah, shit, I don't even want to answer. Cause now what do they want me to do? Yeah. Well, now, right. now it's like, come on, man, ring, now, ring. Now you're on, calling man. them. Did you forget about me? Are you sure you don't yeah. have anything? Are you sure? Did anything change? I can remember and, a time where as much as I oh. hated to do it, I was running out of Northeast Ohio and all the decent freight was to the East Coast. Um, Good rates going over, horrible rates coming back. And work got so slow that I started pulling garbage, literal garbage inside of a dry van and bringing it back to off the East Coast to my state to go to landfills. And I'm thinking, why am I bringing all their trash to my state like this and not getting paid much for it? But it was. You, you had to work, and that's about all there was for a while. That was big years ago. It was Everybody big, really was big. A lot of guys yeah. did that. Yeah. Yeah. So you you told the one about Pittsburgh. i got to tell you this one. It'll take about 90 seconds. I'll shorten it all up. Schneider National, years and years and years ago, umpteen years ago, that's where I went. They have what they called C-Team back then, and it was two FNGs together for four to six weeks until both of you, they thought, knew what you were doing. Okay. So they put me in a truck at Seville. Seville, I know you know where the pumpkin patch was in Seville. I I used to go past it twice a night. Yep. This dude I was supposed to pick up lived in Pittsburgh. They said, 
just take this truck and the load. Go pick him up. Get on your way. I said, well, where's he at? We'll send you a Qualcomm message. We'll let you know. Just get going. So, all right. So I head out across there. I get into the Pittsburgh area. I am so freaking lost because they hadn't told me where I was going to find <laughs> right. this guy. I had right. no idea. I was I was on roads that I should have been going to go deer hunt. Yes. I mean, turning around in churchyards. Uh, yep. I finally find a shopping center with a Hardee's, run in, get me a breakfast sandwich real fast, go in, ask the girl, where can I go with this semi? I'm afraid I'm going to get run off and the cops are going to get me. She tells me about the West End Bridge. I go down underneath of it. She said, trucks go down there all the time. I go down, I park, stretch out, go to sleep because I'm wore out, been up all night long. I hear the Qualcomm message go off, wakes me up, open the curtain, look out. The guy I'm supposed to pick up is walking down the street right in front of me. I didn't even know that's where he was. And so he comes over to the truck and I says, is your apartment right here? He said, yeah. I said, you got a shower? He said, yeah. I said, good. I'm going to use it. <laughs> so I go into his apartment, run, run through the shower. We come back out, get in the truck. He says, where are we going? I said, we're going to Alabama. He, he says, how are we getting there? I said, there's the Atlas. Figure it out. <laughs> this is what this is. We have to figure it out. That's so right. he looks at the Atlas for about five minutes. And he says, well, it looks like we need to start on I-76. I said, yes, sir. He said, where's it at? I said, you live in Pittsburgh. You don't know where 76 is? Oh. It's right above us. <laughs> it's over our head, basically. It, it's oh. kind, of, kind of a main route if you live in Pittsburgh. You should be somewhat familiar with it, yes. Unbelievable. Uh, I get him on the interstate. He pulls into the Smithton. Remember Smithton truck stop? Pulls into the 70, I think it was the 76 there, Smithton. When he turns, he rounds the corner too tight. Oh, hits no. the Jersey wall, breaks, breaks the outside wheel, flattens both tires. I called Schneider. I said, you got to get this dude out of my truck. <laughs> this ain't <laughs> Yeah. All right, Kevin, I'll let you get somebody else, partner. All right, good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Louisiana. Mark, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Good. What's hey, on your mind today? Uh, well, you were talking earlier about uh, the problem with the Detroit diesel and the one box. Well, yeah. I have this Western Star uh, car hauler with a DD-13. It's a... Uh, 2018. Well, I bought it at TransWest uh, right about two years ago. Well, last year, it started having issues with the, the emissions and whatnot. Pittsburgh Power says that we, you should probably just look at replacing the one box because it's probably going to need it anyway because it's, you know, it's high hours, it's a car hauler and idling and whatnot, and uh, the miles were about a little over 500,000. Well, so when it came down to, to looking for one, uh, there was a shortage. And so, you know, I, I was doing my research and looking around. And the company I bought this from is TransWest in, uh, in Denver. So I call out there and I said, hey, you got a one box for this? And he come back, he goes, we have one one box and it fits your truck. And he's like, I'll sell it to you for, I think it was like $8,300 or whatever, which is, they normally go for about 10000 So I'm like, I'll take it. Okay. So I ended up just going up there and getting getting them to install it. And then eventually I went ahead and replaced the, uh, 
the DPF filters, I think I got out like between there and what I did in Houston, like $14,000 and got, the, got a whole new system put in. But it's not as bad as, as I don't think it's as bad as what everybody says it is. I mean, I feared the hell out of it. In fact, it was like, uh, it's like I dreaded, you know, the other one box. That's yeah, right. going to be a, you know, it's going to be a bastard, not like that. But in, in reality, it really wasn't that bad. And if you can find a relationship with somebody you buy it from, they can actually sell you one. Like I said, Trans, Trans West cut me a deal probably for 20% on it. There you go. It was like, it wasn't that bad. So, good. so good. you know, when, when, and, and, I mean, that's what I always heard with the Detroit diesels. Now, and you might have trouble finding one right now. I don't know. This is now not even a year old in here, so I'm not really worried about it. But... I just wanted to throw that out there because yeah. uh, the experience I had with it and, and the fact that if you build a relation again, back to relationships, you know, right. you might be able to find a place that, you know, stop, or, you know, you know, rat yeah. holes these parts and all like that. And you can call them because you can get them because you bought the vehicle from them. So, right. and, you know. and be proactive, you know, get out there and find one and, and, you know, talk to somebody. Like yeah. you said, relationships are important. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you just have to because you're gonna you're gonna get a different story from people because you go to a shop and they'll be like, oh no, we, you know that's you, you can't you know replacing it, you know you delete it and blah 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 and all like that. That's just noise. It's like you just have to concentrate on you know finding people that actually have experience with them and uh, you know because there's companies that actually do cleaning and refurbishing. You you can't rebuild a one box so to speak, but there are certain repairs that can be done on them. And there's a company yeah. in California, in Fontana, I believe, I can't remember the name, that actually, you know, they, they knew more about it than a lot of places. And she said the yeah. same thing. She goes, you don't want to delete these because there are things built into these engines that require this, oh, that yeah. the perimeters yeah. are like, uh, that, that, that these engines are, and they make a difference which platform you have out there. They're all built around the fact that you've got these emission control uh, uh, systems on there. And that if you take that out, then it's going to screw other things up. Yeah, and it that's is. not something that's widely talked about other than about Pittsburgh Power. So, uh, you know, I just wanted to throw that, the, the fear of the one box. It's like, yeah, it's, I mean, you know, you can spend, you can spend $6,000, $7,000 on a turbo charge. Oh, easy. So, you know, yeah, you're right. Uh, you're right. It, it, it's not, it's, it's not, it's, and the whole maintenance scheme of the vehicle, it, it's not that bad. I mean, if you, you and I'm like, I pay cash for it. So, you know. Uh, yeah. Anyway. No, I, I, uh, I agree. Do you, want, that, do you want to hear it? Yeah, that's why I say, you know, Volvo for me, probably first choice because I love the architecture. When you spec them right, they do amazing. I would, I, and I love your setup. Western Star with the DD13. I think that's a, an incredible setup, really. I don't I don't have any, any issues other than my normal, mainly my normal truck maintenance with yeah. it so it's like it's there's you know and again and you got to find the you got to find local shops to do normal stuff that can because i just had the the spring hangers replaced and i had an issue with this and i went to this one shop oh it's this oh it's that oh it's this and i'm like it's still got this problem and i got a new shop i use they're like oh your spring hangers are worn out and i'm like there's the reason i quit this other shop over there because they couldn't they couldn't do basic you know repair and they're basically based around car haulers but when they told me it was going to take two days to replace a damn hydraulic hose yeah. i'm like i I'm just let's just rig this up and i'll go to florida and get it taken care of because you know to a shop that actually knows what they're doing there you so go. uh 
again, again, the relation. Do you want to hear? You want to? You want to hear my tax bill for last year? Sure. <laughs> I love big I, tax bills. <laughs> my my bookkeeper calls me the other day. Oh yeah, I got it. Well, I just have to tell it. You got the money to cover this. And I'm like, okay, what is it? She goes. Uh, your your tax bill is just just shy of fourteen thousand dollars. Okay, doesn't that like, I guess, make you? I guess we did a little better uh, than we thought. Yeah, doesn't that make you a little crazy though? I say jokingly, I like big tax bills because it just means <laughs> yeah, you made a lot like, of money. But it's like it's, I mean, it's wild. It's like, how many yeah, things? Like, how many things in life do you have to go out and write a check for fourteen thousand dollars for every year? Not well, many. it's just I got to figure out the plan. We got to figure we got to figure the planning out better. Probably to start sitting some aside during the year. But I mean, I've got the money. But it's like, okay, I guess the government. You know, it's like I know. Yeah, I guess that's the penalty you pay for for make having a bang up year. You yeah, know? And it's like, you know, it's like I, I wasn't I wasn't entirely shocked when she told me that. But I mean, I was kind of shocked. I thought she was gonna say five or six thousand or whatever. I figured yeah. that's what was coming, but it was like, you know, because it was last year the money just kept rolling in like it's doing right now. But yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, you just you just keep you just keep working the process and all like that, and then you know, it, you know, just you know, build the relationships, and so that's that's what I've been doing, and then it's like, you know. It, I mean, here's I've the never other, had to pay that much in taxes here's, before. Here's the other thing that makes me a little crazy about taxes. When when I didn't make a lot of money, I didn't have to pay a lot of tax. The more money I make, the more tax I have to pay. Nothing else works that way. When I didn't make a lot of money, no. a car costs the same as when I did make a lot of money. Everything costs the same. Doesn't matter how much money I make. Why all of a sudden, just because I make more money, do I have to pay more tax? Isn't the idea that I pay my yeah. share of taxes, why does that share change by how much I make? Nothing else does. I keep looking for this car. car I keep looking for the corporate loophole or whatever everybody screams. There about. is none. I guess you know. Oh well. Yeah. I know. It's just a joke. So I know. Like, I know. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Mark. Good stuff. Let's uh, let's go to North Carolina. Stephen, welcome to the program. Uh, yeah, I send the audio sample. All right, I've Hello. got it here in front of me. I'm looking at it now. So we're looking at a Volvo D13 2014. Got uh, about 700, yep. is that right? About 700,000 on the engine and about 30,000 on this oil. Uh, right. Let's see. Nothing looks horrible here. Our fuel dilution is getting a little worrying. Did you idle a lot during this time? Yeah, he's a car hauler. I have to keep on right. to load from my yeah daily pump. But it, but it the amount of time you idle didn't change, right? No. Okay, so you went from two point two on fuel dilution to three point nine. Um, and your base yeah, came, the first one. The, the base is, is because of the fuel okay. dilution. When we get more fuel dilution in that oil, then we get a dirtier burn, and then that starts to eat up the base. So we, there's really only one issue here, and it is probably an injector issue. 
I think I might hold off. I might at least wait for one or two more samples. And and we're not seeing a lot of wear metals, so I'm not too worried about the, the fuel dilution right now. I think I would hold off, but it, it's probably at some point you may need a set of injectors. Yeah, can it be affected by the... Uh, uh, I did overhead like 10,000 miles ago. Is it have any effect on it? You know, all if, of it. If they did it wrong, if they did an incorrect overhead, we can see some issues with more soot, a little more fuel dilution, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's possible that they actually made it worse. So, because uh, I didn't change joy, do you want me to go like how many miles more before I can change it? Or do I have to change it right now? Your oil? Yeah, because I didn't change it. Trying um, to see if I can go like how many miles or I, I, change it right now. I would probably push that sample no more than 10,000 miles after you took that one. And then I'd pull another one or I would change the oil. We really don't want to let the fuel dilution build up in there because that, that can start to attack wear metals. So until we figure this well, out, I, I would probably just change it. All right. Okay. That's what I want to know. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Reno. Oh, I think we got Craig back. Craig, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, it was either last week or the week before. I uh, caught the show. I tuned in late. But you were talking, and, and the last words I heard you say is if you had more than $250,000 in the bank, put it in another bank. How concerned no. would you be right now if you had, had over $250,000 in one of the largest banks? Um, the large banks seem to be pretty stable right now, so I wouldn't be worried. But I would just move it. And you don't have to move it to another bank. You can do it all within the same bank, um, depending. I mean, are you married? No. Okay. That's, you, that's the problem. Do you own uh, a business? I, no, I'm a company driver. Okay. So you can really only probably shelter at one bank. Maybe. Well, you might want to ask. I, I'd have to go look and see what the exact rules are on this. It's been a while, but I do know that you can have a checking account and a savings account. At the very least, that would give you 500000 of coverage at that bank. And you might just want to ask the bank if I open another checking account okay. and, you know, or another savings account. Do I... Can I continue to get protection just by splitting the money up or do I need to go to another bank? Now, when somebody's in, in my case, being married and owning a business, I can have a checking account and a savings account. My wife could have a checking account and a savings account. There's four accounts. We could open a checking account and a savings account for the business. There's two more. So we could really, you know, spread this out easily at one bank. I'm not entirely sure on all the details of these rules because we haven't dealt with them for a long time. Well, here's the thing. I did try to go to another bank and open an account. And because right now I'm retired in about six months, but because I don't have a house right now, a physical address, I have a mailing address. 
They won't let me open an account. That's the other screwy thing. Banks, you know, banks used to beg you to come in. They used to give you a toaster if you come in and open an account. Now, just try to open an account. And my God, it's insane. The hoops you have to jump through these days to open a bank account. Um, I... How about they, a, wouldn't, they would not do it. And they also the, told me that the, you know, the FDIC is uh, 250. doesn't matter how many accounts you have. Though that's not true. That's absolutely false. So I'd leave that bank just because okay. they're idiots. That's horrible advice. I can't believe okay. they told you that. Like I said, I don't know the exact details okay. on how many different accounts at the same bank. I know we can have several. But when they say it's only 250000 they're absolutely wrong. It is per account, and then we have to look at the rules on how many accounts are we allowed to open and still get this. We can also move money to brokerage accounts. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, we could move money to brokerage accounts and get that same protection. Now, it's it's different. I shouldn't say the same protection, but there is protection there. We got to go in and make sure we check the details, but that is another possibility to use a brokerage. Okay, and then you would use a broker and just put it in a money market account that Correct. earns a quarter percent or something? Uh, actually, the money market accounts are starting okay. to get up there. I'm seeing some over 3% now. Well, the bank I went to, was you know, it's one of the major banks. They were going to pay me 4% yeah. in a savings account. And I said, that's great. And then, you know, they got all <laughs> through it. And they said, I give them the mail address. They said, that's not a physical address. Without it, I can't do anything for you. Yeah. Now, I, I, so interest rates are starting to come up. So if you've got some cash around now, it's kind of nice to actually make a little money with it. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go back to my bank, which is probably the biggest bank. And I didn't actually talk to them. I just thought it was smart to take, you know, and put $250,000 in another bank just so... Yeah, it, it, it sometimes you might need to, like I said, I, I since this is becoming an issue, I've got it on my list. I need to go refresh my memory on all this. I used to know all of this, but we it's been so long since we've dealt with it. But I know that they're wrong when they say it can right. only be 250000 Okay, well, that's, you know, <laughs> I got it from them. That's why I said it. <laughs> I know, I know. It's uh, pretty crazy. So, well, I will go back then, and then you know, the other option is the money market. But you you feel reasonably, well, it's hard to say, but you feel comfortable with the bigger bank? Uh, yeah, there, there's no danger right now in the big banks. And, and we'll get some warning, you know, before it happens. The, these, the banks that are struggling right now are the small regional banks. The big banks are actually pretty flush uh-huh. right now. They're all in, in good financial shape. Yeah. Okay. You How know, far the, are we the, from ten percent CDs? The, the the fear is almost that you know, are is there some sort of conspiracy here to put the small and mid sized banks out of business? So we're forced to deal with the big banks. That there's there's some people that believe that right. might be what's going on. Um, how far are we from ten percent CDs? Um, we'd have to have stagflation kick in. And we're right there. We're on the edge. I mean, anything could trigger it. I I was a little shocked that the quarter point raise in interest rates didn't do much of anything in either direction. Um, So 
the next the next raise or no not raise when they the Fed meets again next month may be more telling. Um, after we see how these banks, you know, is this going to get worse or better um, next month? If inflation goes up again, then we're going to see a problem. So hard to predict. Uh, we're not there yet. I don't even think we're at right. 4% yet, but we're getting close and, and it could happen. Here's the thing. Um, if it happens, it's going to be really bad for our economy. It's not a good thing, but it's one right. of those things I've been trying to tell people even in the worst times, if you've set yourself up right, I'm looking forward to 10% CDs if it happens. Exactly. I put it in there in a heartbeat. Yeah. All right. Well, then I'm going to go back to the bank I'm with, talk to somebody or talk to a couple people until I get a true answer. Yeah, so I, I would. Mark it in, you know, leave it in the same bank and just transfer it to a savings account and get something on it. There you go. All right, Kevin, I appreciate it. Uh, Long-time listener, and I love the show. Great to have you. Thanks. All right, I think we're going to wrap this up for today. Long show. Um, coming up on three. Oh, wait a minute. We got another call. Um, actually, we got a couple coming in, so uh, I'll hang out. We'll go to Oklahoma. Joe, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Uh, I'm an owner-operator for a long time, Uh I heard a guy call up and he had a long conversation with him about flow below a while back. Yeah. Oh, okay. And he was talking about how he was heating up his brakes and all the rest of that kind of stuff. I think he was speculating. I mean, we don't see any issues with, with excess wheel end or brake heat with the flow below. We've got a, got it on a lot of trucks. Well, I'm, I'm taking his word for it because he said he was, he was, uh, he was really, really, uh, he, he was really uh, passionate about what he was saying. Yeah. And, and I understand exactly what he was saying. And I was owner operator for a long time and I ran into all kinds of little forks and they were, they were, some of them just well, like one time my uh, surge bottle, it was, it wasn't the cap. It was the gasket. Oh it's like yeah. $2. <laughs> and I spent, I spent right. gallons and gallons and, and I washed my truck over and over. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just, you know, it's, it's just trucking. Right. So I had a friend of mine, I was driving his truck for a while and he had those and I had to pop them all the time. Cause I'm a, I'm a loogie nut. I really want oh, to yeah. know what those are doing. Yeah, right. so I had to pop them all the time and they, and they fall right on top of each other. So, I mean, if that's, if that's really what's driving him batty, you know, like my little surge bottle cap right. gasket. And the way I figured the way, the only way I figured that out was a, a dyno. Oh, really? Okay. I never did figure it out. Well, yeah, they put it on the dyno and say, well, that's your damn cap. I said, well, well all right. <laughs> I mean, okay. I mean, you know, okay, $2 cost me, what, yeah. 15 <laughs> I don't know how much it costs. And, and all the aggravation. You know, so. And all the and all the aggravation, yes. So, uh, yeah, just so uh, I was popping those all the time for him, so he can just pop them off there and just put them in the right in front of the passenger seat if he's running down through the desert. I mean, if it's if it if it's getting into his head, yeah, you know, they, I think they're pretty cool. It'd be interesting, you know, because every situation could be a little different. But just do a simple test, pop them off. Run, you know, at a certain ambient temperature for a certain number of miles. Get out, shoot it with a temp gun. They're cheap. Throw them on. Do it again. See what the difference is. Oh, well, that's true, too. 
But yeah, uh, let's measure it and uh, see the what the difference the, really is. And just if, because brakes get hot or a little hotter doesn't mean that it's that big of a deal. I had tires getting hotter. We might see a little extra tire wear, but I, I just, I don't see this as an issue at all. Well, you remember the old days when, when yellow came out and said, ride your brakes to the end. Yeah, right. And a lot of people did it. Right. A lot of people did that. I mean, they just, nobody did any tests on that. Exactly. They claimed they did. But I don't think they ever did. I never did that. I laughed my ass up all the way to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> right. I saw, yeah. I saw people smoking their brakes all over the country. I so they know. finally said, oh, well, that's. That's just yellow messing with people, I guess. I don't know what I don't that know was. What that you was ever figure out what that was? No, I don't know what that was all about. But you remember that, huh? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You remember that when that came out? So, so yeah, if that guy, I mean, he sounded like a really nice guy and all the rest of that, but if he just popped those off there, just, you know, it's not going to hurt anything. Right. I mean, right. just going, when it gets brutal like that, just the amount of stress that he was devoting to that was. <laughs> yeah. Good advice. Good advice. All right. We, uh, we're going to wrap this up for today. A lot of great calls. Thanks. Uh, we've got the power hour tomorrow. I don't know who I have guests for this week. I better get, uh, get on the ball, get that figured out. We probably have somebody on Wednesday. Uh, other than that, it's pretty normal week this week. So we'll see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always. Do the hard work and master the journey.